Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our season finale. I don't want to bring myself to say series finale recap episode of Your Bat is Dead. Uh, I am Jules. And I am Mel. This is not going to be our last episode. We are going to do a general recap of the whole season and and plenty of other things. But this still feels like a bit of an ending. I know. (laughs) We're just postponing the inevitable end by doing an extra episode. We're like, this isn't the real finale. We still have another week left. (laughs) We love denial. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after this finale, I feel like I do need a little bit of denial. Like, you know, in in, in my head, I'm delusionally knowing, of course, that Gotham Knights is coming back this mid-season, naturally. um, Of course. Cliffhanger like that. Like, of course, it was renewed for another (laughs) seven seasons just now. Uh, Yes, yes, we have at least seven. At least seven. <laughs> We've reached the end of the season, Bat Brats, and uh, a whole lot happened. A whole lot yes. went down. Talk about an action-packed finale. <laughs> One of the I, I tried not to tweet excessively about this episode, just because I, you know, I try to kind of save my thoughts for the podcast for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, but I did say that you know there are lots of shows out there who, who are brilliant shows like well written engaging all the way through but then they've kind of fumbled the finale a little mm-hmm. like they they've been so consistently good that they just can't quite up it for the finale um yep. and then there's Gotham Nuts <laughs> who just <laughs> just absolutely blew us away with this finale like this was flawless for me at least for what i was looking for from yeah. this finale i got everything everything that i wanted <laughs> yeah but it's it's because these writers are smart and like you know we were talking about how despite the fact that this finale does end on a pretty major cliffhanger set up for a second season mm-hmm. everyone's arcs do get resolved like from an emotional arc perspective everybody ends up kind of coming full circle we can see where they still have room to grow or where they're going to continue growing in like the imaginary season two that i have written in my mind but yep, like yep. their arcs are complete you know, the plot points were pretty much wrapped up. There's like a few threads that are on purposely dangling there. But like for the most part, things are wrapped up. And I feel like that's something that a lot of shows miss now is that either they really go for the cliffhanger, but they go for a cliffhanger where like it's almost nonsensical because they just don't yeah. wrap anything up. Like they just leave everything wide open or they're trying to tie it up in a really, really neat little bow because they think that that's going to like be better Which, in the event of a cancellation yeah, or something. Yeah, that's increasingly true now because we do get so many shows that don't get past a mm-hmm. first season, even you know, genuinely good shows that even a few years ago would likely have gotten multiple seasons. But oh, it's yeah. just that the the environment has changed so much and has been in mm-hmm. so much flux for the last like year or two, especially. Yeah. Um that shows that, you know, would have gotten several seasons and now getting suddenly cut off after one season. And I think, you know, writers are reacting to that. They're like, okay, well, we need to tie this up in case we don't get to come back. Like, we can't leave all yeah. of this dangling forever, um, which is great until maybe they do get a season two. Or <laughs> or you just get those seasons that are tied up so perfectly in such a way that I think almost as a viewer, you kind of want, like, a little something to think on after. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Just a wee bit of residual angst, you know? Not like a ton. <laughs> just, just like no. a tad. and that's why this show is going to leave me with just a little bit of residual angst at what might have been (laughs) but it was very satisfying like that was generally the feeling that I got like once I had finished watching this but I just felt really satisfied excited to have been there thankful (laughs) to have seen it like it was it was positive it was a good feeling yeah 
And then, yes. you know, I might have gone straight to my uh, <laughs> straight to my writing app and like dumped a bunch <laughs> of thoughts about, okay, well, here's the season two that's in my head, just so that it's 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 there now, <laughs> one day in my head. We we all we all knew that Mal was going to have thoughts about the comics reveals here in this episode. I I was surprised by the number of story beats that I saw coming and not in a bad way not in like oh i saw the twist coming like whatever but like just the amount of things that made sense to me as like a non-comics reader like i i'm Mm -hmm. i've always been in awe of the way that this writing team has so delicately balanced like fan service for fans of the comics who know what's coming or might be able to guess at a certain storyline that could be pulled in versus the people who do not have that backstory and do not have that knowledge. And I feel like this finale was good because it felt satisfying to me on the level that like, oh, this makes sense for the plot. This makes sense for the characters that we've come to know. And for somebody like Mal, it makes sense on the level of like, oh, yes, I know that comic storyline. I see how this is being fit into the existing lore in an interesting way so i thought that was fabulous we can talk more about that uh when we get yeah. to those big reveals <laughs> yeah no it, it's it's a really good balance and it's something that they've done very well with because even knowing the comics lore the, the way that gotham knights is very much insulated in its own world but leans very heavily and clearly takes very heavily from certain aspects of the batman lore which I imagine it's just a case of those were the writer's favorites. Those were (laughs) the things that they liked. Those were the pieces that worked best for this story that they wanted to create. But they have very much forged their own path and really created Mm -hmm. their own thing here. And and I love that. And I do wish they'd had a lot more years to develop it. Um, Like, you know, in in Batman, we have the Nolanverse. That's like one of our big, Mm -hmm. like, trilogy of movies, like Nolanverse. I mean, we could have had the... Abraham's throwing <laughs> five ash verse we could have <laughs> um and I'd have been there for all of it but <laughs> and I the am fact that they're working happy. in yeah. those limitations too because when you are talking about something like DC there's an enormous amount of IP there and anyone who's playing in that sandbox has to really be very careful about what they're bumping into I mean they're rebooting the entire DCEU they're rebooting all these things right now so I have to imagine that even clearing the use of certain characters for this show, um, the use of certain storylines for this show was probably a pretty complicated process behind the scenes, but it doesn't feel like that when you're watching the show. It feels very easy and like everything makes sense. So I think that's a credit to the writers and a credit to the producers for being able to pull off that really delicate balance because playing in a big IP sandbox is really tough. And and um, I salute the creators who are doing that right now. <laughs> Yeah, and they managed to do so much within that box that they are mm-hmm. in some ways placed in. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of how they have done this and not broken any Batman law necessarily, but yeah. really twisted some parts of it that kind of kind of make you think, okay, I wish we could have gone in this direction and explored this a little bit more. Like, I really like that. Um, they've given us new characters too, like completely new ones that fit so seamlessly into this mm-hmm. world. Like I've been delighted by the new characters that we've got, um, like Turner and, and Brody and things like that. They work so well and they feel like they've been a part of this world forever mm-hmm. because they've been woven in in such a way. And there's been like, oh, a little Easter egg here or a little Easter egg there. And that by itself is very impressive because when you have a show like this and you're trying to give those little Easter eggs for the comics fans or um, put something in there that that will connect to the lore for the people who would be looking for it or would appreciate it, it can very easily come across too forced sometimes 
Mm -hmm. Uh, There are things that might not make sense to a casual fan like you. It's fine if that thing is there and the person with the comics knowledge picks up on another layer Mm -hmm. of it that the casual fan might not. But if it's only making sense to the comics fan and not making sense to the casual fan, that's kind of where it starts falling apart. And they completely avoided that for this entire show, I think. There have been things where you've been excited about something and I've just been able to offer like an extra little layer of something. But I don't think at any point has there been something where I've had to explain to you in order for the plot to make sense. No, no. And that's such a relief to me, honestly, as somebody who's always been very intimidated by comics, both Marvel, DC, like pretty much any comics, just because it does seem like there's so much lore and there's so much to catch up on. And it's like, will I ever like know all of the things I'm supposed to know? And so it was kind of a relief with this show to just be able to go in and enjoy it. Like, There have been movies that have come out in recent years, like both from the DCEU and from the MCU, where I've gone in with like a reasonable knowledge base and walked out going, I have no idea what just happened. Like I just sat there for two hours with characters I'm fairly familiar with and I have no idea what went down. And some Mm -hmm. of that's because people are limited because they're trying to set up the next thing while the current thing's happening and they're having to add in, you know, all these like extra Easter eggs. But this show did such a great job of not doing that, of not making you have all this knowledge going in. I came in literally knowing like who Batman and Harvey Dent were. (laughs) Like that was the extent of my knowledge going into Gotham Knights. And I was able to fully follow everything that was going on. And it made a lot of sense to me by the end, even without knowing years and years and years of lore, you know? Yeah. In so many different ways, this show as a whole included people. It never excluded people. Mm -hmm. And it's it's, it's just brilliant. I'm so happy about that. Like (laughs) it's such a great gateway drug to the rest of DC. For those who who want that, for those who want to get something else out of the show and just want like their happy CW, like shippy show with a little bit of like humor and some darkness (laughs) and some cool fight scenes and everything they've got that and they've got an yep. entire meaty show of that but then it also is such a great gateway to dc for people and people can go <laughs> and, and learn like whole different storylines and different takes on these characters and their histories and these organizations and just the city itself my but my beloved gotham <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's, yes. it's wonderful and i've said this before and i'll say it again like i think the show Stargirl did a good job with this as well and that show got a lot of Mm -hmm. praise from like external critics like there were a lot of people who were far more invested in the DC verse who like very much enjoyed Stargirl and I have to say that I think a big part of that was that the first season of Stargirl aired on DC Universe it did not air on the CW initially and so I think that CW branding ultimately is what ended up hurting Gotham Knights a little bit in getting that bigger audience with DC people because people were willing to watch Stargirl which actually has a very similar kind of structure to the show it focused on a young cast there was a lot of shipping involved uh there were older people in the cast who were very well known and respected and had things to do but it was primarily focused on the high schoolers and people were willing to watch that and i do wish there were so many dc fans who did and eventually end up embracing gotham knights i i wish that they had been able to find the show sooner because i think they would have enjoyed it I, i do think that that's true and i think you know by being on the cw you open yourself up to a whole other set of fans that yeah. you would not, you know, would not have watched something on DC because, you know, they're not even aware it exists. Maybe that that's not something. Oh yeah, that's I wouldn't have found the universe. show 
if if Gotham Knights had had gone up on another service, I wouldn't have watched it. Even even the original Stargirl, I didn't watch that show on DC Universe initially. I watched mm-hmm. it once it landed on the CW. So I mean, yeah. like, there's definitely a, a case to be made for having a crossover audience with like people who wouldn't normally check out like a DC show per se who would find yes, it. But definitely, but this is all stuff that we should definitely talk about more when we we're yes. like ready Next to do a episode. <laughs> Mal and I have thought yeah, that we cannot be contained. We have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> but I am very happy as to how many DC fans I did see doing an about turn yes. and embracing this show and just being yes. like, hey, okay, I was wrong. Like, this is good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I, I respect that. I respect when you can stand yes. back and say, yeah, I was wrong. This is great. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. We welcome any and all mind changers. I, I appreciate your presence here. <laughs> yes. Glad to have right. you. I guess we should get to Night of the Owls. <laughs> yes, the actual episode itself. <laughs> so let's let's dive right in. I love that we went straight into this interrogation. Yes. Our knights are in the GCPD. Obviously, we see them <laughs> being dragged away at the end of the last episode. The last episode was an absolute doozy. So if, mm-hmm. at this point, if you haven't seen it, I can't. I can't help you. <laughs> um, like, go listen to that one before you listen to this one or nothing will make sense. Um, um, I love that and, and- the two people we had interrogating though, interrogating them though, um, were Commissioner Soto and Dr. Chase Meridian, who mm-hmm. we obviously met briefly kind of mid-season and we'd seen them interact with Harvey and we'd not seen them interact with the Knights before and how different these yes. people seem when they're dealing with different people. <laughs> yes. This whole sequence made me laugh because um, it, it was very serious. And like, obviously, they were trying to get across a time sensitive, serious issue to these people. Oh, yeah. But it was so funny to hear them trying to explain what was essentially the plot of Gotham Knights season one to another person. Like, it was just so funny to have them all being like, and then and then an undead scientist lady came up <laughs> with Electrum, which is a, like it was just so funny because I like as a viewer you're like looking at like commissioner soto and being like come on like believe these kids like they're telling you the truth but like i fully understand why that woman like did not initially <laughs> believe yes. that because of these kids who had just been caught for what i think is like mass murder start spouting off all this yeah. like, bizarre like, information colin Rowe is sat there doubling down on his explanation <laughs> about a space rock and you're, <laughs> and you're just a space rock that gives you immortality, mind you. Yes. <laughs> the, one of the things that entertained me the most during this just amazing sequence, which was funny start to finish, but like the further it got along, the more desperate you started getting because you could see that they were not buying this, like yeah. that they were not getting it, is how completely cold Brody was on his mom during this. Yes. He was just like, no, it's her. Like she did it. She did <laughs> this. Ugh. Like, Can I tell you, I love that so much because I know we were having a debate like when bro like early on when we first met Brody, like we were kind of wondering, like, is he gonna be good? Is he gonna be bad? Is he gonna be neutral? Like, where's he gonna land? And then even once we kind of knew he was more aligned with the knights, we were like, Well, is he gonna like double cross them? Is he gonna like become a tool of his parents or whatever? And I love that they have just decided, nope, Brody is just gonna hate his parents a lot. And he's just gonna solely be on the side of the knights through this whole thing. It just made my heart like flutter. I was like, oh, like this is so nice. Yeah. Like he's making friends, like he's with the main group now. But that scene really cemented it for me. It was like, nope, my parents suck, and here's why. And <laughs> this is why yeah. you need to arrest everyone right now. <laughs> I loved it. Cause like when it comes down to it, it's a simple decision in some ways. It's an emotional yeah. decision, but 
good or bad, there's only one side that the marches are falling on here. <laughs> yeah. And like Brody is not kidding himself at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, I know where the chips have fallen. Yeah, very sad. <laughs> Lost my parents. But you know what? They've probably over time killed hundreds of people, done yeah. many, many evil things. And I know where I stand on those topics. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, a single boy a in some things, ways. <laughs> but I do know that when my mom stabs me through the heart and then resurrects me inside a coffin to be an undead assassin, I know that that's crossed a line. That's, yeah. that's over I mean, a line I, somewhere. <laughs> I hope that our undead assassin gets some therapy at some point for that entire sequence <laughs> they all of need therapy. <laughs> None of them have gotten the therapy that they needed. It's why we are where we are today. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I, I loved that. Um, it was funny. Brody just, yeah, full respect uh, for that one. Even I would have, if anything, I would have expected Carrie to be the one who maybe tried to kind of come up with, okay, we can give them like a different story. We can come up with some kind of cover. But even she was just like, no. <laughs> like, well, at that point, like truth is stranger than fiction, right? Like you just, yeah. like, there's no cover story that you can come up with that's crazier than the actual story that they're telling, which is, I think, part of why, like, I mean, we can see that Commissioner Soto is kind of like reluctant to believe them, but I do think at a certain point, especially once she's kind of confronted with the evidence, she's like, you know what? Yep. Okay. I'll accept this at face value because honestly, this is an insane story for you guys to just make up out of nowhere. <laughs> like, there's yeah, too like many it's, weird it's things. It's too here. crazy to be fake. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> for all of them to be telling the same, like, absolutely bizarre story, at a certain point, you're kind of like, well, it would be too hard to keep all the details straight and lie, like, all of them together. You know, it, eventually they, it would crack somewhere and it just doesn't. So that was great. I love that whole sequence very much. Um, and especially as a preamble to what comes later. Yes. <laughs> I love the GCPD patented method of stick all the people that we believe are mass murderers that work together and outsmart us every time in a cell together. <laughs> stick them all in there. I know from a cinematic like perspective or like you need them all in one place yeah. so that your scenes can work. So no criticism there whatsoever. <laughs> I just prefer to take it from an in-character point of view and just say, okay, look, they're just that bad at the GCPD. Well, <laughs> it was also a nice, like, full circle narrative moment because they yes. all first met in right that cell in the pilot. That cell. Yes. And now they're back together again, and this time they've added members. <laughs> yes, they've grown. Not <laughs> they've just grown. as people, but, but in as a group. As well. <laughs> yes. So that, I mean, that whole sequence is really great. I loved how clearly they were setting us up for a showdown. And then we get this amazing scene, our first between Harvey and Duella, now that the big secret's out. And it's fabulous. It's great. We can get into it. I have to shout out, Harvey has a line to Rebecca that I really loved. And it was just so funny um, when he tells her, call me old fashioned, but if we were going to have a future together, I would want to know that you could have fought in the Civil War. I love that line so much. It's so true. Harvey's like out of like patience this whole episode, which I absolutely adore because he just goes from being like this very straight laced like politician type who like is very careful about what he says to just coming in with all these zingers. I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, like he's clearly been holding it in for a long time and he's just like, (laughs) I don't care anymore. I've been fired. I'm strapped to a chair. This, This woman is, you know, could be like my great 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 grandmother like, <laughs> like this is <laughs> oh my no, god yeah harvey's no good very bad day has turned into harvey's no good very bad week he's just no good very bad year <laughs> yeah 
he just hasn't had a good time in a long time. Uh, but he's about to have some father-daughter time, which is just yes. great. <laughs> the one thing I did want, like notice in this scene, which I thought was really well done. So we finally have a scene where Harvey is pretty much like he is stripped down. Like there, there's nothing left for him at this yeah. point. Like he, he's got no job. He's got like most of his friends probably think terrible things of him now. Yeah. Is he all, all this other stuff? Like Duell is kind of all he's got honestly at this point um maybe maybe turner if turner knows the truth but nobody else does so that's that's about it and we see harvey in this suit and i noticed that this particular suit he's got no pocket square he's got like a very simple tie just a single bar across the tie for the, the tie pin and it is a very like stripped down version of harvey compared to what we're used to seeing um and also just very singular like there wasn't as much mm-hmm. emphasis on all the like double everything that we've seen with him throughout the season because at this point it really does feel like we're just dealing with Harvey not with yep. Dark Harvey like Dark Harvey at this point he believes in, and we see his viewers is very much kind of locked away and not involved in this initial discussion with Duella yep. and and Rebecca and it just feels like we're just dealing with with Harvey and it's kind of reflected in the costuming and everything it's it's a notable lack of that initial doubling that we had with him all the time and I really liked that and (laughs) Rebecca's dress reminded me of wings it was so cool she's got this amazing dress on first of Mm. all that woman has killer clavicles and I don't yeah I don't think we have elegant (laughs) yeah I really don't think we've gushed about her as much as we should because we're trying like we're trying to sound like we have some credibility here but no but it's it's the hot evil women it's just too much and and honestly she's just so good at being awful like you just you're almost rooting for her like part of you is like you know what I want you to succeed in your evil plans Rebecca you've worked so hard for this you're such a girl boss you've really put in the work all these years and and now this little brat and her friends are going to screw it up for you it's the same way that I it's the same (laughs) way that I felt about Meredith Blake watching the parent trap <laughs> where I was yes. like, she's put in the work. <laughs> These kids are going to show up, ruin everything. <laughs> no, I love her. I'm usually much more like the person, like, I want to be wearing the heels, but I'm like, no, she can walk all over me. <laughs> I'm happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this scene for a couple reasons. One, I love, um, and I love the compare and contrast to later versions of Harvey talking to Rebecca, but I love their dynamic together. I just think it's so interesting that they've been able to create such different dynamics between light Harvey and Rebecca, dark Harvey and Rebecca, and then both of those two Harveys with the nice version of Rebecca too, because there's really two Rebeccas going on because you have like the one who's very sweet and naive and then you have the one who is not. Uh, So you have all these different kind of complex dynamics that are happening. And I also love everything that happened with Duella and Harvey in this scene and we can get into a little bit more now. (laughs) Oh, the acting here. Like Olivia and Misha just killed it. They mm-hmm. they really got me. Um, I love how little Duella says to start with. When you know he starts trying to talk, and she's immediately dismissive and defensive, and just very much herself. Like the reaction we would expect from her when yeah. somebody's trying to talk about serious emotional things, <laughs> um, especially believing that you know she's been abandoned by this person for eighteen years. Um, even though that's not quite the case, and she kind of knows that's the case. Which yeah. I, is is kind of why she gives him that opening, I think, and she does listen when he offers to just talk, and she can listen. 
Um, that speech absolutely killed me. <laughs> I, was like, I was almost like tearing up right there with Duella. I was just like, oh, gosh. oh no, <laughs> if there's one thing Harvey knows how to do, it's give a goddamn speech. Yes. <laughs> he can do that. <laughs> I would say Harvey Dent for mayor, but I think that boat has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's about done. I think when your shadow personality comes out and starts murdering people, I think your candidacy is pretty much dead at that point. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was a great speech and, and delivered beautifully. I do think it was interesting because, again, with Harvey, like it's a moment of sincerity for him. Like you can tell that he means it, that he is very idealistic as light Harvey tends to be. Like he kind of comes into a lot of situations thinking like, I am going to fix Gotham. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, okay, all of Gotham? Sure, oh. Harvey, sure. <laughs> you know, so he, I think regardless of anything, he has the best of intentions here. And yeah. I think that comes through, like the but sincerity he's, of He's kind of naive through. in his own way. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like the fact that he's like, all that trauma you had, once we're together, it'll just like melt away. Like we'll get a do over. And it's like, that's not how any of this works, Harvey. You should know that. You, you should know this. <laughs> yes. of trauma yourself. Like I think, and I think in that moment too, you see Duella also being a little bit naive and idealistic because she so desperately just wants one parental figure. She wants like, to be loved, okay? Like, just wants the love. And so that, like, is another moment, too, where you're kind of seeing two characters who, like, I I, I wish, so wish we would have seen a season two journey for these two because both of them are kind of almost there but not quite getting it yet. Like, they haven't gone through the true reconciliation that needs to happen. They haven't really done the work yet. But it's clear that both sides are very willing to do that and that Harvey, like, does want to put in the work. And I would have wanted to see that process come out, especially now that Dark Harvey has kind of taken over. So yeah. that scene was excellent. And I think it just showed both of their characters very well while still being very heartwarming. And, like, you want it to be true so badly. You want it to work. You yeah, want like, Harvey you to are be rooting able to for his dad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Even though you know that there's, like, many roadblocks and obstacles that are going to have to be overcome, like, before that happens, like, you want to believe that it's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. And in some ways, they're both terrible people who have done terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> I will but, defend Duella but... because Duella is 18. Duella yes. is a, a literal just Harvey, stopped being a child. Yeah, Harvey, Harvey probably is, should know better. But <laughs> Harvey's an adult man. <laughs> Duella's a horribly traumatized child. She yes. is not she's not in the driver's seat for a lot of these decisions. Although I guess you could also argue Harvey is also not um, really yeah, in the driver's Harvey seat. Has definitely not been in the driver's seat for some of them. <laughs> Harvey has the emotional maturity of an 18-year-old Duella. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah, they're kind of they're kind of on a par there. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny that we had been talking like the whole season about the possibility of a future redemption arc for Harvey. Yes. And it it really feels like maybe at some point distantly in the future we could have got that. Like yep. if we had got a season two and maybe yep. season two would have been more focused just on um Dweller trying to get him back on, on yep. that for, for their relationship focus in the season. Um and then if she did, if uh, by the end we managed to get him back, maybe there then could have been a third season where we are <laughs> having more of a general Harvey redemption. But yeah, we will we'll, we'll talk more about setup we'll season two that. when we get there. But <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely a lot of a lot of my like mourning for what could have been this episode. A lot of it was focused on that particular relationship because you could just feel that it was really setting up things up well for later and the dramatic tension was great and I loved getting Olivia and Misha together because they haven't really the moments that they've had have been very quick 
um, up until the end of the season. Like there have been moments where like he's referred to Duel on the pilot. Like they were together for that one scene. And then I think they were together again, that scene where she was holding the knife to his throat <laughs> in mid heist. Yeah. But then I don't think we've really had like a long scene between the two of them since the pilot. And no. then when she tries to kill him or she does <laughs> thinks she kills him, you know? So uh, I it love was looking nice back to at those scenes now, though, because so many of the lines and things that were said mm-hmm. were just crafted oh. so expertly that now looking back at them, it's, it's twice as good. Like I can already tell this is going to be one of those shows where I'm going to go back and rewatch the whole thing and i'm yep. gonna get so much more from it the second time yes like all the little clues and things that you didn't pick up on before no yep. it's totally gonna be one of those shows like oh gosh anyways i'm really gonna miss this show yeah. i keep saying it <laughs> uh, but um, yeah i do think that what we got from harvey and dweller here did feel yes. satisfying like it it uh-huh really kind of showed the potential of where they were going to go hopefully so it it was enough for me. Like, I'm glad that yeah. we got that. Like, I would have been oh, sad totally. if we hadn't got to this point of kind of resolution with them and it had been, like, left hanging a bit for, like, a season two thing for them to sort out. Like, I, I'm glad that we got what we did because it was enough that I can I can move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but there was and, enough and there that, that they really could have developed that so much further yes. for them if they'd had more time. Oh, my time. gosh, yes. Yeah, totally. Because in a season two, you're dealing with, you know, now this whole situation with Harvey, which is like a whole other <laughs> whole mm-hmm. other thing that we will get to when we get to it. Um, yes. Meanwhile, at the GCPD. <laughs> meanwhile. <laughs> you know, the GCPD. I, I always love it's one of my favorite tropes in um action movies and TV shows when uh, the powers that be realize that something has screwed them over way too late uh, to do anything about it. And this particular one was very funny to me um, because the all the power went out. Yes. And oh. then they were like. We, we, we have to we have to discuss something. We have to discuss something big before we get oh to the boy. power cut. Before we get to the power cut. <laughs> um, we cannot skip over Commissioner Soto and Turner's conversation. Um, oh yeah. We gotta talk about that. We gotta have that discussion. <laughs> oh yeah. May I just say before we begin that this is <laughs> one of the few theories that I actually put forward without comics knowledge that turned out to be correct. Um, so that made me feel happy. Mal was also with me on this train. So really it's a co-victory, but I'm claiming it for myself. (laughs) (laughs) We have this great conversation where she reveals, she's like, well, here's, here's why I think you're lying and awful and a terrible person. And it turns out. (laughs) First of all, first of all, terrible way to be a police officer. You cannot look at somebody and say, your parents were bad there. You are. No, that's not how it works. (laughs) That's not how I this works. Literally, it was just, it was, it's very funny that that's now like evidence like oh yeah like so if they were to take this to court it would be like turner's a terrible person how do we know because his parents were terrible people and so he must also be a terrible person but we find out that turner's parents were assassins like hired assassins who were trying to kill batman and that's why batman killed his parents now do i think that there's like way more to the story (laughs) self-defense since like oh anyway Yes. Okay. Breathe, breathe, Mel. It's okay. But that's why this whole thing. I was like, oh my god, because there, there's still more to the story. Like, there's still more that we don't know. Like, what was the exact situation? Like, where? Like, how did he kill them? Like, was it an accident that he even killed them? Was he just trying to subdue them? Like, what happened? Like, how did he find out that they had a child? Like, how did that 
come down? Like, how did he realize? Yeah, because I mean, we're assuming, yeah, we're assuming there wasn't an eight-year-old on this job with them. So, like, ideally, there wouldn't have been. So, was it like, was he trying to chase them down later? Like, did they attempt to assassinate him, fail, go home to regroup, and then Batman's like, let me tail them back and see where they came from, and then that's when he sees his eight-year-old cut, like. What happened? So that there's yeah. still unanswered I, I questions I want to know there. if it was like an ongoing thing. Was this like yeah. one bad night or had they been yeah. trying to... Is there a whole season out there of, of Turner's <laughs> parents trying to hunt down Bruce? Like what? That's the spinoff. <laughs> That's obviously the spinoff that needs to come out is Turner's parents going after Batman. But like in all seriousness, like there's so just this episode did such a good job of like tying up these little loose ends and then being like, oh, but wait. But wait, what's this little thread over here that you could pull if you wanted to? Like, because in that moment, you get the answer, quote unquote, for all this stuff. Like, you're, oh, Turner's parents were evil. They were assassins. They went after Batman, and that's why they died. Like, you get that answer to the question of, like, yes. what happened to um, Turner's parents. But, like, it's, it's it's answered with more questions. <laughs> I'm putting a pin in that Turner's parents were evil part. And we'll come back to that. <laughs> Not disagreeing. Well, just putting a pin in it, okay? <laughs> As we've seen on this show, willingness to commit murder does not necessarily mean evil. Um, no, no. But yes, they were assassins. Um, and I, I love how the commissioner just like casually flips open their passports. Like, hey, here you go. Yeah. I dug out this evidence from a case that I buried years ago. They knew this the whole time. This is the thing. If I was Turner, I would be so mad because it's like this whole season and most of his life, he's been going on this journey of like, who are my parents? And like angstily looking out of windows. And if only he knew that he could have just walked into the GCPD. They would have handed him a file with all of the information that he ever wanted to know about his parents. Yep. that's that's gotta hurt a little bit <laughs> yep and instead she chose to bury it her justification being that you know she wanted to protect him as an eight-year-old from knowing these things i mean yeah i get that but i feel like there were better ways to go about listen doing i it. ain't no child psychologist or anything but i've always heard that you're supposed to tell kids stuff early on so that they can grow up with the idea instead of it being sprung on them when they're like 18 like don't yeah, they tell generally people that not when you like adopt a kid in general is you're supposed to tell them like very early on that they're adopted and just kind of have it always be part of the story i feel like batman should have sat young nine-year-old Turner down for a chat maybe over some ice cream at his favorite like ice cream shop and been like listen your parents did some bad things but it's okay like you know people make mistakes you don't have to be like your parents and 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 also I'm Batman don't tell anyone and then that would have solved all of his trauma we wouldn't have gotten an angsty little (laughs) we wouldn't have needed Gotham Knights if that conversation (laughs) had occurred so I'm glad that it didn't (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of situations on this show that the show would not exist if like therapy had happened to any of these people at any point that's like every CW show every DC show like yeah nah TV is way more entertaining when no one has therapy Yes. I guess this scene was very important because it gave us that answer while opening us up to more questions, some of which we got more answers to later in the episode, too. So they did answer a few of those questions on the way out the door. Yeah. So they mentioned just very brief in this scene that uh, Turner's parents, that they don't give any more information, just a single name, mm-hmm. um, were employed by um, Henry Ducard. And then that's it. They leave it. There's no further yeah. explanation of who exactly he is or what organization he is or isn't affiliated with and all these other <laughs> kinds of things um so we'll we'll come back to that i'll I'm, I'll add it to my collection of pins 
but <laughs> I Mal's <was> ready. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> I was so I excited. knew the second they said a proper name, I was like, oh, this is someone who's who's comicsy. I know that. And then I <laughs> well, was getting all these replies on the movie, podcast movie. Twitter. Yeah, like this is a very big like Nolan verse thing for me. This is a Christopher <laughs> Nolan Batman. Anyway, we'll get there at the we'll end. Get there. We'll I, get I there. promised. I promised I would wait. <laughs> <laughs> when have we ever been good at waiting for things? Truly no, never. No. Um, but we will wait for this because we can get back to what's what happens after this, which is that the GCPD goes dark mm-hmm. uh, and everybody goes, huh? Maybe there is a problem, actually. And the reason that they think that there's a problem is because people start getting brutally murdered by undead assassins that they can see on security feeds. And they start calling for a lockdown while this is happening, which always makes me laugh when they do this. It's like, it's too late. It's too late. You've already, it's already happened. The the bad thing has already happened. They're already inside. Um, I mean, when you have a Talon, the rule is once the lights goes off, the the light goes off, you are screwed. And that was with one Talon. That was one. (laughs) We have a pack, a pack of Talons. It's a whole crew. And what, but what I love about this moment is that Commissioner Soto very quickly (laughs) realizes all right, I guess I guess we got to go get the kids. I guess they were yeah. right. I guess we got to At that point, she's out. like, well, what have I got to lose? <laughs> yeah, at, at this point, truly, you have a bunch of undead assassins coming at you. You might as well let the fugitive children have a crack at it if, if they say that they know what they're doing. I do think that Turner was a wee bit confident on selling their abilities when she was like, who will defeat said creatures? And he's like, we have experience fighting talons. And I was like, okay, sit down. Like, you sort of do. You Mostly sort of do. Accident. I mean, you survived. <laughs> you survived. <I> mean, <laughs> you can say that you survived. One time yes. you survived because of a space rock. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were brought back to life because of that. It was kind of a lucky break for you to yeah. be real. I mean, the only but... <laughs> one who can really just, you know has has some some kind of big balls is here is uh probably brody because he's just like well yeah at this uh, point at least I can't like, i'm one of them like i can't yeah. die but it was just very he funny that because I, I, at this point <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> i just love turner's um like the moments of confidence that he does have that are often very unearned moments of confidence but like very cute nonetheless because he's just like we can do it. We are, looks to camera, the Gotham Knights. <laughs> yes. See, his moments of confidence are usually paired with something that it, it you get the impression like he's 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 rehearsed it in his head before he yes. says it. Like, yeah, I've got it's very it's debate team confidence. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> it's prep school confidence. That's what this yes. boy brings. <laughs> That's where it is. That's where it comes from. It's that Gotham Academy being yes. raised in, in in the private school world. He's got this. <laughs> yes. So. It's it's so funny. You can always rely on Turner for like the most angsty like and I love my little CW boy I've said it before I'll say it again like he's just been such a delight because he has these like comics aspects to him but he really is just like a gossip girl citizen through and through so I appreciated that they let him have the where the Gotham Knights line like I thought that was great um and very dramatic and I love that they were kind of right actually (laughs) that the kids did acquit themselves very nicely and we need to talk about this whole fight scene because it was so cool Oh, it was so good. Um, so yeah, that they are finally let out. I love, I both love and hate that we have the Sarge in this scene because every time I see him, my heart breaks a little for what I could know. have been. But then Colin gets to save him. So that was yes. the first moment that I saw in that in that sequence that I was like, oh, because I love that 
Cullen, like this whole journey for him with pretending to be this cop, we talked about a little bit last episode, is really him being in a role where he gets respect and someone tells him that he's good at his job, even though, quite frankly, he was doing nothing. But like just the the sentiment was there, you know, that he was being told yeah. that he was good. That he was, he was being like, appreciated as a person. He was appreciated and like yeah. finding this group of people that he like had genu- genuine camaraderie with. And I loved that in this moment, he gets to show off for these people with his actual skills. Now that he's not hiding anymore, that he's kind yeah, of is like, I may not, self. yeah, I may not have been what you thought I was, but yes. I'm still pretty cool, actually. But I'm still pretty cool. And he saves everybody. And he has that great moment where, like, you can see that the Sarge is like looking at him, like thinking that. Cullen's not going to save him or thinking that maybe like this kid is like criminal like whatever and you see that he risks his life to save him and he he's successful at it and you can see his mind start to change and it's like oh maybe they can be friends like maybe after all this is over they can like go get a beer together or well no Cullen's not 21 so maybe not a beer but like they can go get a coffee together <laughs> you know exactly no I I like it and uh I really enjoyed the way that this entire fight scene played out because I'm always really fascinated about fight scenes in like close quarters and like spaces where they have to like use the furniture and like everything around. Yeah. And so having this be like inside this office space was so well done for me. So I cool. absolutely loved it. Just like the bodies flying here and there and the desks and everything. <laughs> it was it was just really cool to watch. You know, some fight scenes you watch and you're like, yep, they're fighting. He hurt that one. And then other fight scenes are like, wow, that was just so cool. Like, this is crazy. No, I love stunt coordinators. I'll, I, they're some of my favorite, like, behind the scenes, like, crew people, because I don't think people appreciate how difficult it is, especially yes. when you're dealing with a situation like this where because you are fighting in such close quarters and there's a lot of, like, close-ups where it's difficult to use a double. Like, it's hard to have a different actor in there. Yes. Like, trying to coordinate when is it the actor having to do the thing versus having a stunt performer do the thing, having to choreograph yes. that moment of, like, when one might switch out for another, or even just figuring out, like, I'm sure that most of these kids came into this with not a lot of stunt experience. You know, that's not that's not something you learn, <laughs> like, just all all the time so you're trying to teach people how to look good on screen and not get injured too because if you lose one of your leads to injury then that's like you know however many days that they can't be working you know it's just all these little nuances that go into it and this scene had so many little close-up moments where it was like they must have had to teach the actor to do that that must not have been a stunt performer because there's no way to do that well i mean (laughs) like shout out to tyler who did all of his own stunts during the scene Um, i don't know how many of the other cast did because i haven't seen anything on that but we know that tyler did so Big shout out on that one. Yay, nice it work, looked guys. so good. It looked amazing. No, it looks amazing. It looks so cool. And I love the next person that we have to talk about because I love my little badass Harper Rowe coming oh, in. Yes. <laughs> coming so, in hot. <laughs> so Carrie tells the commissioner immediately, she's like, go get the weapons that you... Uh-huh. Um, so I love that we had some moments with some like comic accurate weapons here because <laughs> yes. we had Stephanie kind of like with her, her bow staff um, sort of image going on that was wonderful and then we had harper <laughs> which <laughs> i'm uh i'm sorry i too queer to form words there I mean, <laughs> we all uh, have massive crushes on harper row it's we okay. do it's we okay just have massive crushes on harper and then you give her this giant badass gun and oh. just <laughs> we're trash we've never we've never we're... pretended to be anything else um... <laughs> we are we're just garbage people really um but i that whole sequence i was like damn <laughs> like, yes. she was incredible she owned that whole scene 
I have really loved seeing Fallon play this character. Like she just plays her so perfectly. And I loved that Harper had that moment to really shine and be a total boss like we know she can be. Yeah, it just it suits her personality so well. Like the way she just kind of bursts in and it just feels like like I don't have time for this. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> like <laughs> you are in my way. Yes, she has that exact energy and I loved it. I loved getting this all the kids in this scene kind of got their little moments to shine, which again is like another thing where it's like gosh, I wish there was a season 2 because now that they're all together and they've trained you know that they can really be like the Gotham Knights because so much of the season was them just kind of being like disorganized kids who were like learning how to do this, but like weren't quite there yet. And this really felt like them coming into their own in a way. Mm-hmm. So once again, I would have loved a second season where they were all out fighting crime together, but that's yes. fine. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll cope and be very we'll grateful. We had this we wonderful have. scene, exactly what it was, which it was. It was very cool. And now we get to the part where I... I was very close <laughs> to um, just turning off the TV and walking away <laughs> because I was very upset that they might be hurting one of my favorite characters. Uh, so Carrie's mom this whole time has been kind of running around hiding, doing various things. She's been there waiting for Carrie um, when all this chaos breaks out. And so she's hiding. She's trying to help people because that's just her personality. She's she's a doctor. She can't see somebody bleeding out and not do anything about it, even if there's a lot of risk to her personally. And we get this awful, awful moment because we've just had this conversation between the two of them where they were talking about like being a hero and her mom saying how worried she was about losing Carrie and Carrie being like, don't worry about it. Um And now we get this moment where the opposite is true, where Carrie's mom is saving this guy and then she ends up getting injured in the fight. Yes. Like, in pre- I think it's actually the the female police officer that we see yes. bound a little bit earlier on and she's mm-hmm. working on her. And they have this moment that just killed me where she looks up at Carrie and she sees mm-hmm. that, that Carrie's there. And for just a second, despite everything that's going on and how dangerous it is, like she looks so proud for a yes. second. Yes. <laughs> she's so happy because she's like, she's finally seeing what Carrie's been saying all along like she's finally showing like the hero that she is and showing her mom that like I can do this and her mom has this moment of like you can do this and then instant pain instant pain and suffering for all because she goes down Carrie obviously is hysterical immediately runs over to her mom yeah and it's just this all of the other this is what got me when all of the other knights like immediately like came over and were just like staring because like they get it they can see mm-hmm. her pain and it's so different to how their every single one of them how their reactions would be if it yes. had been their parent that uh-huh. was there because they all have such kind of messed up parental relationships yeah. going on in, in they different wish ways that they had what carrie had yes <laughs> and the, this one good thing this one <laughs> this one I was like they're example. gonna kill the one good parent in gotham they can't do this yes yeah. And they clearly immediately all feel for her and just don't even know what to do. Mm-hmm. They're just staring in horror because that's something they can't fight or fix. Yeah. And it's, oh, it got me so bad. <laughs> oh, and Navia was so good. She was so good. Like, I, I'm i reminded often about how much younger she is than, like, the other kids in the show. And just she's just brilliant. She's such a good actress. And for somebody who, like came from doing a lot of comedy over the years like it's it's remarkable to me that she's she's this good as a dramatic actress and really really ripped my heart out yeah. and stomped on it uh same with the writers thanks for that jump scare because i really thought we were gonna lose her and i was like this isn't good i don't like this at all 
they had to torture us a little bit in this last episode, right? Like <laughs> just, just just a wee bit. And I also really love too that in this moment of great distress for Carrie, we see Brody with her and really comforting her in yeah. kind of a mirror to the earlier episode that they had had together where they had had a few moments together. I like that friendship an awful lot. I know there are some people who are shipping it too, and that's like a whole other, like people can ship whatever they want to ship. And I think that's certainly a potential for what maybe could have happened later down the road. But just in that moment, I really love that he was there for her. And I love that he was like checking up on her and like really being a protector towards her. Like, I just really love that. It was such a sweet yeah. relationship. The the difference in size between the, the actors <laughs> yeah. here and like the hug yes. that he gave her just felt so protective because yes. <laughs> because he's Navia so much bigger is a very than tiny her. person um she's even compared to like the rest of the cast like you'll see them together like at different things and she's very small so it so they definitely like in that moment cuz Carrie can look very intimidating like when she's fighting and more in control of things but i think they the way that they framed certain shots with this after her mom goes down is they kind of make her look a little smaller almost like she looks a little bit more vulnerable and she fits that like little bird moniker that duel has been giving her this whole season because really like you know for the longest time little bird just kind of felt like she was being dismissive of her but she was really being more protective of her because she is much younger and she is a little bit smaller and things are a little harder for her to do than it is for the others. So I appreciate them making that a little bit more explicit in that moment where she's emotionally vulnerable. Yeah. And I do think obviously with Dwella calling her that, like obviously throughout the season, it became affectionate. It may not have begun yeah. that way, um, but it definitely seemed to become an affectionate thing. And and Dwella is the one who obviously she grew up like in a in a kind of life of crime so when she was carrie's age uh, she'd been doing all kinds of things probably just to survive at that point and so she probably sees herself or a a different version of a person who was young and vulnerable and didn't have like the protections that she was needed so i don't have feelings about dweller and carrie apparently i'm just (laughs) discovering um (laughs) (laughs) it all hits us at different times for different (laughs) reasons you discover a new thing to be a little bit emotional about. Yeah, a little bit emotional there, but <laughs> then we do get this this lovely moment of levity here that just just did great for me. So we see uh, Brody's talking on the phone to kind of updating the rest of the Gotham Knights on what's going on with um, Carrie and and her mom, which you know she's the best surgeon in Gotham, which I guess means that only the second best is working on her. I, I, which... I appreciate that at every turn they just remind us that Gotham City Hospital is trash on fire. Like that there's <laughs> apparently no one there who can do anything aside from Carrie's mom. Which you know, as a healthcare worker, ah, like, that's, that's a lot. But it, it did make me laugh. Um, and there's a moment later that we can talk about it a little bit more. There's a moment where Carrie's mom asked to see her own chart, and I was like, "Yep, that's a that's a medical professional." Yeah, she's like, like no, I don't, don't trust don't any give of these me, people. Yeah, don't give me the bullshit. Give me the chart. Like, <laughs> she's like, nope, I want, let me see what I'm written. I'm like, nope, that would be me. I would be like, let me read my epic record. Thank you very much. Um, yep. But we also have to talk about, as, as kind of a bridge here, because the next part won't make sense if we don't talk about it, what they've figured out about the bomb that yes. Duella is currently strapped to. Which yeah, is the, the, the knights are going off at this point to kind of deal with <laughs> the, that the while... Knights have a couple different things going on yeah <laughs> they're, they're trying to solve a lot of different situations but one of them is that they're realizing that they have to figure out what to do about these bombs so duella has managed to use the cell phone on the bomb 
<laughs> to yes. call them, which I think is great because Harvey's attitude is so Harvey. Like he's like, well, don't touch it. Like you don't know what it's going to do. And she's like, eh, whatever. It's a working phone. And like just goes and starts using it, which is very Duella. Um, but she initially gets Harper, who is like this close to hanging up on her. <laughs> Which yes. is another great Harper Duella just like moment. Uh, but what they essentially realize is that the bomb that Duella is strapped to, and correct me if I'm wrong, because they kind of came up with a couple different theories about the bomb thing. Initially, they thought that if they could disable Duella's bomb, that it would yes. disable all the other bombs. All they of think the that other it's ones. like yes. that's what they think initially. But then what they realize is that Duella is being framed, and that if she disables her bomb, all the other ones go off. <laughs> so yes. As always, a... <laughs> Rebecca is 10 steps ahead of everybody yes. else. It's um, a bit of a, a bit of a predicament, uh, a bit yes. of an ethical quandary, if you that will. We do get, we get some, some wonderful lines from <laughs> Duella during this scene that I just love, where she's like very quickly trying to relate what's happening here to all of the knights. Obviously, Har- you know, Harper's going to go and put them on speaker and just be like, I'm not yeah. dealing with this. Like this is this is a, this is a group situation. Yeah, this is um, a good thing. <laughs> so she puts her on speaker, and and we get these amazing lines from Duella. Like she's on the clock, like literally, like you yeah, really, really like, are. Literally love on it. the clock. And, and she Colin gives this a great one condensed too. blow by blow. Yeah, the condensed blow by blow of Harvey and all the things that bad Harvey could do in like the space of thirty seconds. Yes, and and because meanwhile, the other thing that we haven't talked about as much is that meanwhile, Harvey has been trying to convince Duella that what they should do is let Dark Harvey come out, and then Dark Harvey, because because I actually kind of think it's funny that like Harvey is like, no, Dark Harvey's like super smart. Like I like Dark Harvey. He's just he's just a little crazy, and you don't really know what he's gonna do. Like he he has a lot of respect for his inner counterpart that he's like oh he'll have a good solution it's just that the problem is that he's unhinged and once yeah. he comes up with a good solution there's no telling what his next step will be at that yeah, point like he will come up with a solution it will probably cause 10 more problems but yeah, he yeah, will, yeah. Come, up but he will come up with a solution and duella you know we've seen so much growth from her over the course of the season i think this episode really beautifully tied up that growth arc for her and one of the things that she's really adamant about is that she does not want harvey to be bringing Dark Harvey forward, especially when they don't know that they'll ever be able to get Light Harvey back. There's kind of no guarantee of that. And she's very insistent that he not do that, not just for like the selfish reason of like she wants to get to know her father, but like also I think she's genuinely concerned for Harvey's well-being, which is like the first thing in the episode that I was like, Duella, like you learned, (laughs) like you're, you're really trying. Like that was a really sweet moment i mean does harvey listen yeah. to her no but like no, she tried. of course not but she tried and i like the fact that she is actually the one to voice the fact that you know yeah you know she could take the easy way out and disarm disarm the bomb but like yeah that means tens of thousands of people would die and you can see that yeah. actually she's not comfortable with that like she's not yeah you know whereas if it had been you know the joker's daughter um and and she'd been leaning into that a bit more she might not have cared as much but now she's kind yeah. of got like she's really finding out who she is and where her lines in the sand are and i think that that was a line too far for her she was like i can't can't do that there are tens of thousands of innocent people and people that i care about out there that she wouldn't be and, able to and, do and that and we do and we do get a line later that might explain a little bit of what her rationale is there but we'll talk maybe <laughs> um but one thing i did also think was interesting is that the knights in that scene they're all kind of debating essentially remotely detonating <laughs> 
um duella like they're they're trying to figure out like who we just remotely detonating duella <laughs> we just kill her um and i do appreciate that the knights do have that conversation because we've talked before about how none of them are perfect right like they are all just as flawed in their own way as duella and there is a moment there where like several of those people are seriously considering like the greater good conversation of like well what if we just blew duella up and then our problems yeah. are solved they have <laughs> like, the conversation but it doesn't feel like yeah. a like whereas it would have earlier in the season it doesn't feel like yeah. an anti-duella conversation it's not a case of we don't care about this person why yeah it's a case of well we do care about this person however there is still a greater go- good to think about so mm-hmm. i think it but came off I, very differently to why how it would have it done did. like six episodes ago it so. did and i appreciate that we got this great moment of turner standing up for her it's so cute um because first of all he's kind of arguing like listen they can say the same thing about Duella that they say about the rest of us, which is that, like, all of us are who our parents are and, like, are who our past say that we are. And we can say that just as easily as the people of Gotham can. But we all know that we're all capable of change. And we've seen that we're all yep. capable of change. And why should we treat Duella any differently? Why should we think that she would just do this when we don't really have any proof of that? Like, certainly it's a gamble, but it's a gamble for any of them, not just Duella. And he has this great line... <laughs> But I was so excited when he said it. He was like, I'm willing to bet on her. And I was so happy about it. It was so cute. It was a moment of squee. Um, Because after everything that they've been through, he's still willing to bet on her. And he still believes in her. And I just think that that's really. He does. That was so touching. (laughs) I loved that. Um, I do want to just just pull out one specific line during this whole conversation everything coming out about Mm -hmm. the bombs and how you know tens of thousands of people are going to die if they detonate these bombs (laughs) so when harper is talking about this and she points out that okay they can do it but if they detonate these other buildings it you know tens of thousands of people are going to die and she specifically phrases it um that they are in these buildings of granite and lime which is a quote from the actual rhyme from the court of owls yes which is just it just all ties in together so perfectly like rebecca is really you know she was perched on the granite and lime (laughs) and uh now she's tearing it down (laughs) so just love it just those little things it was so good Uh, but i'm glad they made the decision that they did they are not going to blow up duella (laughs) yes they've decided that it's not good to blow up your friends um but they did decide and they made a good smart plan because when you have two smart girls putting their heads together because no offense to cullen and turner but they really did not have all that much like you know they were there but like the other two were kind of cocky (laughs) they were there they were the moral support but what they realized is that they don't have to blow up duella's bomb they can blow up any one of the other bombs and it'll cause the circuit to stop for the rest of them and so what they realize is that they can evacuate one building and just get everybody out of that one building and just like blow that one up in like a controlled explosion then they can do this and save duella and save all these people um which i think was a little interesting too because to me i was like okay so like you're still blowing up (laughs) a skyscraper (laughs) um like evacuation is great but that's still gonna have some like long term yeah, there's still gonna be consequences there but <laughs> still gonna be consequences. Pro- probably lesser consequences. Less, yes lesser evil of what's going on here so um, then they have to try to convince gcpd to evacuate everyone yes out of so <laughs> cullen gets to talk to the sarge again and, and gets to have this this honest moment of like look you have no, probably no reason to believe me, but I need you to just trust me because mm-hmm. you've got nothing to lose, and I'm trying to save a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, 
And I like that the Sarge did, even though he was clearly very hurried at the time and pointed out that he, he doesn't have time to thank Cullen right now. But he gave the <laughs> insinuation that he would, that he did appreciate yes. what Cullen did for him when the fight with the Talons was happening. Yes. Um, which I like those Talons, like they're clearly, they're clearly somewhere because they didn't die. We know they can't. <laughs> so where'd they go? <laughs> Interesting. You never want to have a loose talon. I will say that. You always kind of want yes. to like stick like an air tag on them, you know, just so that we can keep tabs. <laughs> like we want to know where all the talons are. You don't want yeah, to, you want to have them off in the ether, you know. Attach it to the end of the blade. Um <laughs> the one of those talons as well we had a a female talon which was yeah. awesome. It was you could kind of just about tell if you were really paying attention to the costuming. Um there was a moment where you could also just about tell um, during the GCPD fight where when Harper fired the gun and it hit each of the talons in turn, you so it, th- cool. th- there was there was one voice that was very different to the other the other talons in in the kind of like grunt that we yeah. had going on there. It was very cool. I did see um Natalie say that that was um a reference to Strix in the comics, which uh, her name is Mary Turner. So she was a female talon, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I love the fact that we can kind of bring back all of these original talons, even if they weren't a part of the show. In theory, yeah. all of these can be the DC original talents <laughs> that, that we had. So absolutely. Anyone can be that. a DC original talent if you believe. <laughs> if you believe hard enough, you too can be a talent. Um <laughs> As Brody learned this season, all it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of Electrum. And you too can be. <laughs> I mean, all it took him was a bad root canal and a crazy oh. mother. So. <laughs> you are one bad root canal and a crazy mother away from immortality. <laughs> um, yeah, so Hopper and Dwella finish snarking at each other, which quality, quality snark, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> so love that. Um, nerds to the rescue. They, they've got this they're gonna try and work something out and it's um, an, a nice echo of that first moment together with them i think in the second or third episode when they were arguing about how to defuse a bomb and they could not come to a middle ground between them and now they can because they're dating um and they've really come very far which i think if we're if we're moving on to that dating portion we have to mention <laughs> this amazing <laughs> little scene that, that was oh. just a great it was just a, a great <laughs> break in the tension for a, yes. a little moment um, when the knights are riding up in the elevator in March Tower to go and <laughs> investigate and find out about these bombs um, because they know that the barrels were there before and then mysteriously, mm-hmm. there are no more barrels. Oh no, <laughs> I wonder what happened. Where um, did they go? <laughs> they're riding up in the elevator and it's all just silent and tense and then Cullen <laughs> just comes out with, so are you two like a thing? <laughs> and then they're like looking at each other like what and then turner's like it's so obvious <laughs> yes i love the way that stephanie kind of looked at harper almost like kind of like asking for permission yeah, kind of like almost yeah. like i'm not sure that i can speak on what this exactly. is yeah. yet um but they, they seem to come to a an easy agreement <laughs> Like, okay, and well, we're so just going to let that be. Yep. <laughs> it's adorable because Turner, like we've said before, Turner has smiled like four times um, on the show. Like two of them were Duella related. One of them was like somebody had a joke. And then in this one, he gives a little smirk <laughs> Yes, when he knows that they're trying to hide it. And it's so cute. I love when they get to just be friends who are like just teenagers, you know, who are 
lovingly yes. giving each other a little bit of crap about their dating. And you know, like, that's another thing that we would have wanted to see in season two because you know that Cullen would have teased them mercilessly <laughs> as a oh, brother yes. should. <laughs> so, but it was nice that we did have that moment where, like, the rest of the nights kind of, like were able to voice that they knew about Sharper because I think it was pretty obvious to anyone who was looking, but it was nice that they had that moment. Yes, especially after, like, Tona had been thoroughly friend-zoned, like, <laughs> like, like two episodes ago. <laughs> but in, like, the most official friend-zone possible, like, like, full conversation friend-zone, like, <laughs> no room for misinterpretation there. Yes. Um. So, yeah, we're, we're fully in the night of the owls which as i mentioned in the previous episode it is a a, a specific comic <laughs> like it, it's, it's gonna be I'm, I'm gonna have to do some kind of list for people on you know places to to go to read yes. more yeah um but we are fully in night of the owls now the talons are taking over and uh happily murdering their way through things in gotham very tactical. I love the fact that if you listen very carefully during the initial attack scene um, at the GCPD, they were taking out the bomb squad. So they yep. were taking out the people who could have fixed this in theory. Um, though clearly <laughs> they were nowhere near as, as fast and efficient to fix it as our no. duo um, that we have. We probably need to return to Harvey for the to next... To the greatest scene of all time? Yes, of course. Yes. I would love to talk about this scene. I'll let you go. Off you go. <laughs> Oh, this isn't even like, this is just me being like a little shipper. Um, But so in this moment, we finally have Harvey deciding that he's just going to bring Dark Harvey out against Duella's very strong objections. Uh, yes. And she continues to voice those throughout, but he just kind of makes a decision without her anyway. So Dark Harvey makes an appearance, which they weren't even sure was going to work, but it turns out he was just lurking in there, ready to come out. Yes. Um, Oh, we have to mention that she calls him dad. Like she's so she calls desperate. Calls him dad. That oh she calls my gosh. him dad. How um, did I even miss this? It was it was the best. So she, he's sitting there and he's like, "Goodbye forever." Like you'll find a way to get me back. And she's like, "No, dad, don't." And it's like, how badly does she need affection that she calls this man dad after she's met him twice? And one of the two times he was trying to kill, like put and, her and away. She, she for shot murder, him. And then she, she shot, shot him. him. <laughs> So I love she's that though. Really, because... She's looking for a, a relationship, like really. Badly. Yeah, I, I think it's actually kind of a testament to Duella there as well that she can look at things objectively mm -hmm. and read people pretty well, and that she can genuinely see that actually, as many other things that Harvey has done are problematic and terrible and cause issues. Yeah. He just didn't know that she existed, and it genuinely would have been different if he had. Um, yeah. And that up to a point, it's not his fault. <laughs> um, it's, clearly, it's, it's, wash. <laughs> it's the it's the other him's fault for sure. Yeah. Um, but I do think she does believe him. Like she says that you know she believes what he's saying when yeah. he makes that little speech. And I think we come back to again that Dweller is just really good at reading people, and she knows when to put her trust in people and when not to. And yep. this whole idea of other hobby, she is not on board. She's yeah, she's not like, on nope. board with that situation. I also wouldn't be either. I also appreciate that, like, as much as that dad was very genuine, I think it was also a last-ditch effort yes. to keep light Harvey. Because if anything was going to pull him back, it was going to be that connection to her and, and that responsibility to her. Although, unfortunately for Duella, I think Harvey sees his sense of responsibility as a sacrifice for her. 
Like yes. he hasn't sacrificed anything for her. And now this is the sacrifice he's going to make, even though she didn't ask him to. And in fact, expressly asked him not to do it repeatedly. But this is what he's going to do because this is yeah. the path that he's chosen. He wants to be the martyr hero and hopes that that will yeah. be enough. He's he um, is kind of martyring himself here, I yeah. think, because as, during the speech earlier, we kind of get the impression that like Harvey's not thinking very highly of himself right now. Um, no, a and, bit of a and, self-esteem problem, actually. Yeah, kind of a new thing for him, perhaps. But <laughs> you know, um, and that maybe you know he's thinking that this this is all he can do. Like this is all that he has to offer her at this point. Yeah. Um. So in his own way, he's trying to do a good thing, but uh, questionable. <laughs> <laughs> As with so many things with Harvey this season, best of intentions, questionable execution. Yeah. Iffy motives, you know. Um, but we do get, so Dark Harvey makes his appearance, um, and he's thrilled to have arrived on the scene. He's really glad to be back in the action. Oh, and yeah. He has, that switch. That switch, that Misha, switch. you kill me. Oh, it's so good. Because you instantly see it. And Duella sees it, too. And she, like, it, like the instant change. And what I appreciate is that we really get to know why Harvey and Rebecca, like Dark Harvey and Rebecca, got along so well. Because he opens with... <laughs> talking to Rebecca over like the the camera that she has installed. He says for a woman who likes me to use my hands, you sure you want to keep me tied up? What an opener. Okay, <laughs> I guess we really know <laughs> the relationship between Dark Harvey and Rebecca went. Good to know. <laughs> File that away. <laughs> Look, she's probably like 200 years old. She knows what she wants. <laughs> <laughs> this is a woman who knows what she wants. I I I have too much of a villain problem and I have too much of a hot person problem to have gotten through this scene completely unscathed. Um, I think the writers knew what they were doing. I think oh, the yes. knew what they were doing. Uh, I would like to thank them for the awesome tension throughout this entire scene because we have this moment of like, it's truly like battle. It's like a battle royale, right? Like you have these two evil people who don't care about anything except themselves and their own pleasure. Like going head to head, and it's amazing. <laughs> yes, absolutely love it. And they could have been like the ultimate evil power couple. Yes. <laughs> they really could yes. have, like the two of them together. Oh my gosh! Well, that's now, what Rebecca wants more than spin-off. anything. Yeah, that is what Rebecca wants, <laughs> and I can't blame her. I really can't. Like that would have been fantastic. Yeah. That's a whole spinoff just by itself. <laughs> I just loved the um, complete like dismissal of like every other man that she's ever been with and like we've seen this from Rebecca before where she's like all those other guys were trash you're the one that I want but I like that she <laughs> to the way that she spoke to light Harvey about dark Harvey was killing me just the way that she was like he's better than you in every way I want him I don't want you <laughs> it was just yes so when good. she when she <laughs> accuses him of just wanting to be someone's bitch <laughs> I was just oh perfect like she really knows how to like needle him in the right places <laughs> they may have only just met but she can read him like a book <laughs> yep no it's 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 actively incredible to me I I loved the two of them and the the chemistry they had together R.I.P. Rebecca well I guess not really R.I.P. she kind of she does come back in a, in a big way yeah uh, but in this moment we see that Dark Harvey is uh uh, maybe not as into Rebecca as Rebecca is into Dark Harvey. Or at least, you know, he, he's more into himself than he is into Rebecca. Yeah. Not to say he's yeah. not into Rebecca, but he's got his priorities. Yeah, he's got priorities to go. Uh, Duella, meanwhile, is watching all of this with an expression of absolute horror uh, on a number of levels. And I appreciate that. I'm with you, Duella. I understand <laughs> why you're so freaked by this whole scene. 
<laughs> yes. As a viewer, I'm there like, okay, that kiss was hot. That was. And then <laughs> as Dweller, I'm like, oh, that's my dad and the oh, evil that's lady. that's weird. It's weird. <laughs> that's, I'm, no. That's, that's my dad who's not my dad and the evil lady. <laughs> it's like, it's taken over. <laughs> yeah. And she's just sitting there in her chains like, excuse me, still here? <laughs> still here. If anyone wants to let me out. Uh, but of course, as uh, good things can't last forever, and when you have two evil psychopaths with competing priorities, uh, that relationship is not going to last more than about five seconds. Uh, and we get this amazing fight where we have some talons come in, I believe, at this point, or was this just the security goons? I forget if we had talons and um, yeah, the, the ones that I have nicknamed goons. <laughs> <laughs> The goons show up, uh, yep. and we get this fight between Dark Harvey and Rebecca and these goons. Again, Duello's just kind of like, ah! <laughs> like, okay, like this is happening, I guess. And we finally meet Two Face, or at least yes. a, a short introduction to Two Face. Yes, uh, enough for me to feel thoroughly cheated out of season two. <laughs> Two Face, let's put it that way. Well, we get even more of Two Face later. This is just, yes. this is just like the so appetizer. This is the you very know? brief. Um, so there is a tussle <laughs> when things when things don't don't go well um mm -hmm. rebecca reaches out and grabs because remember we are in the floor 13 of um i believe wayne tower in this one mm -hmm. so where rebecca has things things stashed um including all her sciency equipment because remember she is our dr leviticus so she's she's yes. got all kinds of equipment in syringes and electrum and all kinds of things here including a handy vial of acid, which I mean, we all knew was coming at some point, but I'm yes. glad that it was at least justified and not like a random vial of acid from somewhere. <laughs> like it made sense to me because of where they yes. were. So I'm glad about that. Yes. Um, and oh, she just grabs it and goes straight for the face. Straight. Ugh. Ugh. I did yeah. not enjoy it. It was not fun for me. I have always said, I, I, I my one nursey thing that I cannot do is uh, wounds. Or like really deep burns, so that was a real. When I heard oh, they, yeah. the, the sound designer made literally a sizzling sound when it hit him, uh, and so I would just like to thank the uh, sound design team for my nightmares the for the last few days <laughs> uh, because Thanks it was right for the cringes point. that you got yep. from us. Yes, yep. it definitely sounds like melting human flesh. Uh, nice work. Uh, so <laughs> imagine going home from that job as a sidebar and being like, oh, honey, what did you do today? Oh, well, I made the sounds of a man's face melting off yeah. for the TV show. If, even better is the stage before that, where they're testing out different things, being <laughs> like, okay, which sounds more like someone's face melting? <laughs> nah, nah, no. Nah. Go with the second one. The second one sounds way more face melty than the other one. <laughs> yes. Again, unsung heroes of unsung production heroes. here. Yeah. <laughs> Just... uh, but that was amazing because they were also, again, they've been so good at the teasing of Two-Face this whole season. Mm -hmm. We see that it's hit him. We get like the the yell of like, ow, that hurt. Well, I guess more than that. But like, you know. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. We get a moment from Harvey where he's like, that's my face. And then they drag him away. So we don't see the full face reveal. We just know that it's happened. Um, but we don't get to see it right away, which again, like adds to the anticipation because we're like, we know it's coming. Like we know that this is Two-Face, but we don't get to see it right away, which I, I love. <laughs> yes, they really, really kept. And we always knew that it was going to be a last minute episode 13. Yep. Like it, we always knew that um, as it should have been, just like narratively speaking, yeah, that's what sense. made sense. Um, 
and I'm glad that we got to see as much as we did. But yeah, they, they just kept us hanging on for a little bit longer here. <laughs> and then we get the surprise in this next moment where we're like, uh-oh, like there goes Dark Harvey. That was like Duella's kind of only hope here because Dark Harvey, as weird and evil as he is, like was kind of her only shot. And then the knights come to save her. Yay! And we have Turner there. We have Brody there. It's just so good. I loved it so much that they all came to help her. It was so cute. Um, We get this great moment where, like, she looks at Turner. She's just so happy to see him. And I was like, ah, my babies. And we get... And we get the repeat, like so many couples, like shippy couples in shows, they have like a phrase or something that, that keeps up coming up. Like, I think the classic one was in the, the John Green movie. It was the, like, we've got the, that's okay, the okay, like, okay, okay. Yeah. So if you're, if you're of a certain era, you know it. But, <laughs> if you were on um, Tumblr in 2014, ever, you know it. <laughs> you know it. Whether you want to or not. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and we have a not offended from oh. turner oh. i just love, i love like the, the layers to not offended being their thing is just oh. wonderful i love it it's still it's still okay do i need to <laughs> I, I was not okay it was so cute and we got this wonderful kiss too we get this like lovely like sweet like again turner doesn't smile very often the boy doesn't have much to smile about and we got like this full genuine smile from him Duella also fully genuinely smiles and the way that they kiss is so romantic and so sweet and I love that they gave us that moment because it would have made me very mad if the next thing that happens happened and I didn't have that moment. Uh, so that was very nice. For a second, I thought that Tuella was all good. No more angst. All Wrapped well it up. in the world. For like all three is well seconds. For three seconds. <laughs> we, got, we also get this great moment of um, Brody coming after his mom. Uh, and getting some sweet, sweet revenge, which I yes. loved. <laughs> I am so Team Brody in this episode. So team I mean, Brody. <laughs> yeah, they really did a full 360 on this character. We were so unsure about him to start with, um, which is clearly what they wanted. It was how it was positioned. We've talked before about how we're seeing him from very much a Turner point of view in those first yeah. few episodes. Um, when we get to know him more for himself. Like, absolutely love him. One of my favorites. He's great. <laughs> I love that he's just completely cold with Rebecca. Like, nope. Uh-uh. Nope. And I love the way that he, like, tells her exactly what he's like. You know what happens if, like, you inject too much Electrum, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought that was so sick. I was like, that's so cold. <laughs> yes. You deserve it, lady. You deserve it. <laughs> absolutely love just that whole concept, that whole trope of, you know, killing the creator with their own creation. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yep. Yes beautifully yes. done so well delivered so well delivered I, we but got that we got the kiss uh, <laughs> not quite the last that we are going to see of rebecca unfortunately quite. not quite um so we get this great moment of victory we get the greatest romantic kiss of all time you know this is like lovely like <laughs> wonderful ending it looks like they're gonna get away with it essentially they've evacuated everyone from the building everyone's out of the area like the plan is working and then Turner, Turner, my broody CW boy, who has yes. to go for maximum angst at all costs. He's, he's got to get those journals, decisions. okay? He's got to he, get them. Oh. It's, it's a full circle moment. We started off the season with those journals and dash down it. He is ending the season he with those journals, with those okay? Journals. <laughs> it is so frustrating because he would have made it. 
Um, like they would have been fine if he hadn't gone back for the journal. So Duella and and company are very much like, what is wrong with you? And he's like, don't worry about it, guys. I'll catch up. Meanwhile, they have like what ninety seconds or something crazy like that before like the whole thing's gonna blow. So like they're all trying. Time is of the essence. They don't really have the time to be going back for these journals. But Turner is gonna make it. Like he actually he actually makes it up there. Gets the journals. Runs back down. Like he's gonna make it. And then <laughs> he's interrupted. By zombie Rebecca, which is so cool. It's so cool. I have to shout out Jennifer May Nichol and her team. I have to shout out the makeup team as well. And like the the, um, VFX makeup and all that stuff. Because she looks awesome. She looked so good when she was coming down those stairs. I was like, oh my God. And by that, we mean she looks so bad. Like she's so bad. She she looks like. So zombie. And the way that she walked too, like the way she was carrying herself and like moving, it was like she was injured. Like you could tell she was like injured, but like she was kind of like compelled to keep going. And it was like, oh my God, this is so cool. It reminded me of like, um, I don't know how many people listening to this also read A Song of Ice and Fire, but there's a character in the books that has not made an appearance, on, didn't never made an appearance on the show Game of Thrones, who was kind of similar, where it was like this like undead character that kind of kept coming back and was very, very scary and creepy. And I don't want to say the name in case it spoils, spoils something for somebody. Something for everyone, um, yeah. But... Uh, but it reminded me very much of that vibe. And I was kind of like, see, they could have pulled it off. They could have done it if they wanted to they do it. They could have done it. Yes. Um, but she was so cool. And and she has this great like villain cackle moment of like, you yes. thought you saw the last of me. <laughs> I adore this moment because it poses so many questions. I mean, we don't know what Rebecca has done to herself. Because mm-hmm. you, like everything that she's done with the Electrum uh, when she initially had it, and then obviously since they've rediscovered the, the bit that they stole, that the knights found for them. Yeah. We don't really know everything that Dr. Leviticus could do. We, we don't yeah. know. We know that there were experiments on people. Um, we know some of the effects of Electrum. But as far mm-hmm. as the the law goes in DC, there are lots of kind of different, you know, serums and things like that that can be involved uh, in this that, you know, can, like we were talking in the last episode about kind of look like some of the Electrum was dropped into like water or some kind of liquid and that was used to inject talons things like that rather than just deliberately giving them a chunk all the time as for example we have with brody and his tooth so (laughs) i want to know like what rebecca has done to herself because there are so many options Mm -hmm. there because we're never told it's never clear um we can make some assumptions but clearly she survived what brody did so it makes you think okay there's more going on with her Hmm. she's unkillable uh so that was great but then in that last moment we also get turner getting kidnapped by a group of people yes Uh, a group of people in suspicious looking outfits and suspicious outfits (laughs) um and we also get before we get into exactly who those people are and where turner is now we get this moment where the rest of the knights are sitting well we have i think it is brody cullen and duella in the car in the police car outside who are waiting for him to come out and then i think harper and stephanie are on the radio listening and they're like waiting 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 and they the time ticks down to zero and the whole place blows so as far as they know turner was stuck in there um and was in the building yes. that blew up and they all have some really good reactions to to what just happened. Like you have Stephanie and Harper who can't see anything, who are just like, why isn't anyone saying anything? Like what what's going on? You have Duella just like in total shock. 
you know, and and really horrified at everything that just happened. Like they're all just kind of numb. And I think that it was really good to kind of show that side of things because we actually don't get a lot of time with their grief in this episode, just the nature of the way how quickly things had to happen and timelines and all that jazz. But we get this moment of like, oh, man, like Turner's dead. And it's the first real permanent consequence that they've had because even Carrie and her mom, we, we see throughout the episode, Carrie has a wonderful scene with her mom where they're talking about her and it sort of feels like her mom's given a bit of a, I call it the death speech. It's when characters yes. on TV start really wrapping up all their affairs and, and, and saying goodbye. And you're like, ah, this character's dead. So yeah, it off, felt she very, <laughs> off she goes. So it felt like she was giving a death speech, but then she ultimately is okay. Like she's, she's on the mend, she's recovering. She's going to be all right. So it feels like they kind of dodged that consequence of what they were doing. And this is the one time that like their plan just hasn't gone off and they haven't gotten off scot-free even if there have been things that have gone wrong or whatever they've always kind of managed to pull themselves out of it and this is a very permanent consequence or so they think yeah because at the end of the day these are still kids and this is probably one of the first times where they're really seeing consequences that that they can't fix that they can't undo that they can't even get some magic space rock and fix like there is no way to fix what just happened um and these are you know just kids like they shouldn't have to deal with this stuff that they, they and they are, saved and the doing world admirably, and they saved their city, but... but they lost their friend, which was the exact yep. consequence that they had wanted to avoid by saving Duella, right? Like that was the yep. whole thing was like, well, we could do the easy thing, but it would mean that we'd lose Duella and we don't want to do that. So let's try all these other things first. Like it was exactly yep. the consequence they were trying to avoid. And now Duella kind of is living with that guilt of like, he came back for me and he was trying to save me and he believed in me. And that's how this whole thing happened yeah. instead of losing duella they lost turner who really was the reason they were all there um mm-hmm. the, the turner was kind of the one who who started this whole thing by being framed for bruce wayne's murder and then they were just going to be the, the the pansies that helped with that yeah. um and so he really was kind of the the one who brought them all together and back in their early belfry days was like you know we we can clear our names we can do this like yeah. let's, let's do it and and now he's gone. So yeah. it's oh, a huge void. It was a lot. It's, it's yes. They're losing a friend, but they're also lo- losing like the kind of person who brought them all together, which is just really hard, really difficult. Yes. I mean, I'm hoping that the building collapse also killed the zombie uh, that came out of that, but I don't think so. I think it would take a lot more to get rid of yeah. uh, friend yeah. Rebecca. Yeah, I, I would love it to be one of those things where, you know, for maybe a very long time, we think that we've seen the last of Rebecca. Yeah. And then somewhere <laughs> at the very end of Imaginary Season 2, she she lives in. Yes. At the end of Imaginary Season 2. <laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> there are several characters throughout like history and DC Comics where we've seen them die multiple times and they just come back. And it's never overly exp- explained because it's supposed to be like this mysterious character that we don't know enough about to quite understand. One of which I'll talk about in a minute. But <laughs> I would love Rebecca to join their ranks, you know? Yeah. Um, so so we get that moment, which is very <sighs> which is very sad. Um, and then we also get <laughs> we get our knights um kind of coming together. We have this little scene of them in the belfry sort of picking up the pieces. It's unclear like exactly how much time has passed. Um it seems like not very much time, though. Right? Yeah, like, not like, very much time. Obviously, enough time for GCPD to have been like, "Yo, you can go." Like, clearly, this is <laughs> this is this is a criminal we conspiracy. If I've okay. ever seen one, so uh, you guys are good. Uh, so they're all kind of picking up the pieces and trying to figure out 
what's the next thing to do? We get this hint that Harper's kind of like, maybe I'll go to school. And everyone's like, that's a great idea, Harper. And it's like, yes, that's a good, it's a good next step for you high schoolers. <laughs> Make sure you go back to school. Um, and Duella is kind of, as usual, a little bit apart from them because um, she's kind of still grieving and and sort of she, in her view, the others aren't grieving the way that like they should be or that they're not doing what they should be doing to honor yeah. Turner. Um, and her proposal, which is a little bit counterintuitive to everything that we've seen of Duella so far, but it really shows her growth. She's like, well, we need to just keep being the Gotham Knights because it's actually I don't know that they actually reveal to the general public who the knights are yeah. um we know I think that, that now commissioner we know the gcpd Soto knows, knows. yeah, yeah like and, and whoever know. was in that room we can make the assumption yeah. that the sarge worked it out like we can <laughs> things like <laughs> he that he figured but... that one out but that the public does not know so the public as far as they know the gotham knights saved the city but they aren't still aware of who those gotham knights are and so duella's kind of proposal is like well we should just keep being the gotham knights and we should keep yeah. fighting for the people in gotham and she has this great line where i think it's harper sort of questions it a little bit where she's like but duella you don't care about people um and duella is like you're right <laughs> i don't um but the bat brat cared about them and so I care about them. And that was just very like, oh, yes. oh. like, and she, yeah. has this line, she has this line where she goes, it's what Bat Brat would want, um, which is very Duella to kind of cover up her own feelings about something and being like, well, you know, I care about Turner and Turner cared about people. So by extension, I suppose I care about the people <laughs> to an extent. Yes. Um, which kind of, <laughs> kind of echoes back to earlier in the episode when mm-hmm. she kind of voiced the fact that like, yeah, she could save herself, but you know tens of thousands of people would die and maybe she's not actually cool with that and it seems like she's not like that's kind of something she's learning about herself like she's not even really sure of that yet and some of that could be turner's influence i feel like she needs like a bracelet now like what would turner do um no literally that's exactly i think that they need to just keep telling duella that like where she's about to make a questionable decision they're like what would turner do in this situation duella What would he want? Because she is very, like, we've seen it before, but, like, her falling in love with him did kind of change her perspective on people. And and seeing him want to save people and want to do good things, I think at first she thought it was very naive of him. And I think as as time has gone on, she's sort of come around to his point of view. And this was a really good full circle moment. I love that she kind of became the de facto, like, head of the knights or the one who was trying to get them together after yeah. being so against it for so long it was just like a really great moment of growth for her and i loved it so much it made me go a little teary i was like oh my little girl's growing up she's doing yeah. so good it was it was a wonderful scene i'm so glad that they had duella do that because that that felt right for it to yeah. be her it wouldn't have felt as good if one of the other knights had been like well we should just you know keep fighting for turner not that they yeah. didn't have relationships with turner yeah i could i could maybe have taken it from cullen that yeah. would have felt but it it was good coming from Duella, I think. It made sense. It made total sense. And so we get that nice moment that kind of wraps up our Gotham Knights. And then we have two, two, two outstanding scenes. scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so we said that we'd not seen the, the last of Mr. Harvey. <laughs> no, we, did, we certainly have not. Um, This scene was awesome. It was so cool. It makes me like unreasonably angry uh that we won't be getting a season two because of how good it was and how much of the potential was there like this whole season we've been teasing this two-face reveal um we've been teasing the two-face costume what it was going to look like 
what the mannerisms were going to be. We've kind of all been trying to figure out what it's going to look like. And Mm -hmm. this scene was so good. First of all, I think we have to talk about Jennifer May Nichol one last time on this podcast. Uh, It was worth the wait. The costume was well worth the wait. It looked so cool. Uh, I loved it. I'll let Mal squee a little bit about it too. I think we can both squee about this. <laughs> oh, it was so good. I I love the way that costume wise they have managed to always give nods to various comic things and yet always mm-hmm. do their own thing. So you have a distinct costume that is this Two Face. That's not yeah. You know the almost cartoonish um like suit that's divided in two down the front but they gave us an echo of that and as gross as it is they mm-hmm. gave us an echo of that with the melted splatters of harvey's flesh that yep. just cover half of his suit jacket <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't even have time to go change like he just no. came straight from he straight just from he work. just didn't care i think <laughs> he's just like well yeah I got places to be. Well, I think the other part of it is too. I mean, if your face looks like that at that yeah. point in time, are you really worried where, about your suit jacket? Yeah, I think I think people are going to be freaked out enough. I don't think fixing the outfit is going to fix the rest of it. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, it was it was so good. I loved the prosthetic that the way they did the makeup on him was incredible because sometimes I think with the prosthetic effect it feels like they're not there's no emotion under it because it's very difficult as an actor to like move your face under all that makeup so it can feel like the prosthetic is wearing you more so than like you wearing the prosthetic and in yep. this one i think it was a great combination of Misha acting under it and then also the artist who put the design on in the first place that you really could still see him emoting under that mask and like you could see it happening um i was thinking because i was actually thinking about the last time that i had seen harvey dent on screen was the aaron eckhart version of harvey dent um Uh and with them they chose to do a little bit more of a um digital approach like they had some makeup on him but they put like the little green dots on and did like motion capture for that half of his face and that was their approach to kind of getting a little bit more realism and i appreciate that on a cw budget where they weren't going to be able to do motion capture on somebody i appreciated how much effort they really took in crafting that look and making it look realistic but also workable for an actor underneath yeah because it like you said it it really can sometimes when you have a prosthetic ends up feeling like the prosthetic is wearing them and it kind of takes over um and it becomes all about that particular look whereas Mm -hmm. we could still see misha's like subtle expressions the little changes um i did read that it was a little difficult for him to speak with that and they had to probably re-record some of his lines to go back over the top but that That makes sense that worked perfectly well like it yeah it looked great sounded great um i i always compare all of my like prosthetics vocal changes to one of my favorite characters of all time which if anyone's ever watched boardwalk empire there's a character on that show called richard harrow who has uh, the show takes place in world war one and so he is a soldier who has lost like half of his face in the war and so they have this mask on him on the half that he lost and he has a very unusual speech pattern because of that because of the fact that he doesn't have like half of his jaw so the actor who played him jack houston had to be always emoting with only one half of his face and also trying to do this like very complicated very difficult voice and still putting all this emotion into it and i have always held that performance up very high in terms of like what an actor is doing when you're kind of limited by these different factors and I very much felt that if, especially if we'd gotten more time with this, with this version of Two-Face, um, I really felt that performance was, was going to be iconic. Like it was very, very well done. And especially with the limitations that were placed on, on 
between timing and the type of prosthetic used, like all that kind of stuff. I thought Misha did a wonderful job with the character. Yeah, it was so good. Um, And he was absolutely chilling in this scene. Mm -hmm. Just his presence in it. um, uh, Okay, so I guess we (laughs) should talk about the fact um, he walks into a familiar kind of camper Mm -hmm. situation that we've had going on um, and confronts um, Jane, Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. So he's clearly, even, even Dark Harvey clearly has some kind of connection to Dweller there. Yes. Um, so we're we're still coming back to this whole yes, Two-Face is evil, is a villain, but mm-hmm. he has his own sense of justice. Yes. Um, and he is very much there to meet out uh his mm-hmm. his particular brand of justice on yep. Jane. I um, am a sucker for the evil character who like has a soft spot for one person trope. Yes. <laughs> um, I am especially a fan of the trope of the like who hurt you? Like that kind of trope. And this feels like, cause he was like, oh, you hurt Duella. You deserve to die. And that to me, I love that trope so much. I love that they gave it to Two-Face as like a motivating factor. Yep, at you're least fully supporting his wrongs here. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I support his wrongs. I also really, really hate Jane Doe. Like I like, I like yes. the character. The character is very interesting and I, I love the way that they, what they've done with her, but like, I am not team Jane Doe in this moment uh, because I think she deserves a little taste of her own medicine. Uh, with everything that happened with Duella this season. <laughs> yeah, I think she got what was coming to her. As soon as we got like the very first name drop of that character, I was like, oh. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. I, and they used her so well, like so well. And no, just, so well. And just the acting of her, I just I just loved because she was on a surface level very likable. Um, yeah. Like she seemed like a genuine kind of fun, warm person to be around. You could see why Duella loves her. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, oh my, it all went badly here. <laughs> so yep. we get the coin, which obviously is another aspect of Two-Face that we have been kind of waiting for and being teased with. Like we've mm-hmm. seen the coins throughout the series. We've seen um, Harvey's life be saved by the yep. coin. Um, and now that specific coin, I'm believing, I'm yep. to me, that is the coin he's keeping forever. So I could not catch on the camera whether it still had the dent in it. I think it did, um, and I loved I'm that they assuming, kept that detail. Yeah. And I love that they had a new origin story for that coin, that they yes. gave it like its own origin story here on Gotham Knights, where it's like, this is Duella's coin. This is the coin that saved Harvey's life. And like, there's, it, again, that connection between Two-Face and Duella that I genuinely think, and, you know, obviously, I'm not a writer for the show. I don't know what their plans were. Um, but I think genuinely that was pointing towards an arc in season two of Duella trying to get Harvey back from being Two-Face and then yeah. also having Two-Face have this arc of trying to get Duella back too. Like the, this kind of like mutual arc that would have been so nice to see. Um, <laughs> we were robbed. <laughs> robbed, I tell you, robbed. Um, but it was so cool to have that alternate story for the coin and have it just be something for Gotham Knights. Gotta love the the unique pieces that Gotham Knights has brought to the overall DC yeah. lore. Absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, the the coin flip, shall we say, does not go in Jane's favor. Um, no. Part of me would have been very entertained to see what he would have done with the other <laughs> result, um, but the result is as expected, and Jane Doe is 
permanently removed from the equation. <laughs> I think if he had gotten the other result, I think he would have said best two out of three. Um, yeah, honestly. probably. Like, he clearly wanted to kill her. He was yeah. just, just playing a yeah. little. But... <laughs> He's playing a little game. Uh, but no, it was, it was really good, too, because I like that Jane initially was kind of trying to fight for herself a little bit and was kind of trying to, like, manipulate him. And at a certain point, she just kind of knew. And you could see it in her face. Like, she was just like, yep, nope, there's a, there's a no getting out of this one. This is just, this just is what it yep. is, um, which is very good and very chilling uh, work by Misha at that moment, because I, I was scared. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even involved. <laughs> yeah, no, he did a really, really great job. Like, to see him switch between earlier episode where we had this kind of very loving Harvey who's really attempting to connect with yep. Duella and everything that that could have been to then the flip side of this very very cold chilling just mm. creepy just creepy two-face yeah yeah it was so good it was so good I, I i again i'm just upset that we won't get to see more of him because i think he's such an interesting villain and such an interesting character just in general and then the way that misha was playing him and the way that they were writing him i think it was going to be a really cool yeah cool villain to have around. I, I really liked how they handled his dialogue as well because with a villain like Two-Face who is so well known and has mm. you know such a history behind him there can be a tendency or a, can happen completely accidentally to almost make them a caricature of what the, yep. that character can be and you know their lines mm -hmm. are just that bit too dramatic and they're just a bit too just a yep. bit too everything you know um, cartoonish yeah really cartoonish but this wasn't like that at all. Like his lines were were pointed and memorable, but subtle as well. And yeah. it just really kept with the theme of the show and didn't dip into character of Two-Face at the end, even when he was this fully blown over the top yes. Two-Face. Like he um, still felt real. And like you and I were talking, Mal and I were talking before we kind of started recording about, um, I don't even know how we got on topic. We were talking about Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm -hmm. Um and I feel like the thing, the reason that people point to that Joker as being one of their favorites or one of the more iconic versions of the character is that he really embraced the like ordinariness of him and made sure to give like this base so that like, yes, he's doing all these crazy things on top of that. But like you can see that there's like a human under there, no matter how deep it's buried. And I think anyone who's playing a villain has to do that <laughs> or you start to get really cartoonish portrayals because someone's just focusing on the mannerisms and not the why um yes, and i think that what 100%. misha yeah what misha was doing so well in the scene is that like he was giving us the two-face like the iconic stuff that we come to expect from a two-face but you understand his motivations we've spent a whole season building to this moment so you get that there's a human under there and you get what his motivations are and it comes through very clearly. So he doesn't feel like a cartoon villain. He feels like an actual, like, real person. Yeah. So, yes. Big love for Misha <laughs> Collins Two-Face. Um, honestly, we were up to gone too soon. Saying, gone too soon. Yeah. We would have loved <laughs> a season two. Deserved a season two. Like, really did. Um, the writers behind that Two-Face really deserved to bring it to whatever natural conclusion they had yeah. intended from the beginning because they, they clearly had put so much in place that yeah. they could have developed onwards. They did a great job of balancing wrapping this up in a season and having it feel very satisfying for us now, but leaving us such amazing threads and tidbits that we could have <laughs> followed 
to get this yes. really juicy season two. I really think Ugh. this is one of those shows where like season two would have been even better because we've got so yes. much groundwork going on in season one. Like season two would have absolutely knocked it out of the park. And, so. and we can go on we can go on my rant in our next episode about how shows need more than a season to find their footing. Uh, and that some of the greatest shows of all time had first seasons that were good and then second and third seasons that were fantastic. Um, yes. And in recent years, we have had less and less chances for shows to develop uh, over time. So we will save that rant. <laughs> for, for oh, next... yes. Th- there might be a few rants coming next there time. There might be a few rants coming. I-, I think it's a good idea that we split this episode, actually. Yeah, it I really is, because we'd have been better here a better long idea. time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so now we have to get to our final moment. Our final scene. And I need to let Mal rant about this because my <laughs> level of knowledge about this particular plot line is limited to a remembered piece of dialogue from the Batman movie with Killian Murphy. And all I can tell you about the Batman movie with Killian Murphy is that he was in it and he was really good. And that's all I remember. So, Mal, why don't you take it away with, with okay. what happened in the All right. <laughs> this, first of all, this would have been such a good setup for a season two. And I'm so mad, so mad that we're not going to get this. Um, so we see this car pull up and Turner gets out. So clearly survived, survived the, the bomb exploding, which Yay. as we already know that there were some some kidnapping goons in there is not a surprise <laughs> to us as viewers. Yeah. Um, first of all, he gets out and he is wearing this the fantastic kind of very simple gray. It's very simple, very yeah. rich um gray jacket so he is now very gossip girl very yeah. officially cw man <laughs> very much um but i love that it was gray he is now yep. early in between he is in the mystery area between the black and the white mm-hmm. um so absolutely love that i also have to comment on his hair i have to bring it back at full circle yeah. because his hair is distinctly different to how we have yes. seen it throughout the rest of the episodes. Yes. And of course, I would notice this detail over all the others. Yes. They're dropping references left and right. And I'm like, his hair swoop is a different yes. swoop. It swoop. It's it a different before. swoopy swoop. Um, it's a different are... swoopy swoop. <laughs> Interest- interestingly, there were some slight echoes almost of Henry Ducard's swoop in this. Yes. So yes. <laughs> it was just like, interesting. Again, to the hairstyling team, thank you for taking such good care of our boy Turner this season. You guys are amazing. You've yeah. killed it. <laughs> we have appreciated every swoop. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, he gets out um, and he comes across the, we have to assume, the leader of whoever this assassin organization that his mm-hmm. parents worked for is. So introduces himself. He is Henry Ducard, which... I already screamed earlier <laughs> when I first heard the name, but we're we're gonna we're gonna dig in. We're gonna talk about this here. Go for it. Go for it. So, <laughs> where do we even begin? <laughs> She's so, so excited. You guys can't I know. even see. Mal has her little hands clasped together <laughs> in absolute glee as she's trying to figure out where to begin. <laughs> okay, so um, most of the stuff that's out there for Henry Ducard and his other aliases, which we will get to, um, <laughs> relates to the Nolanverse, which is just a term for the Christopher Nolan movies. Um, Batman Begins, Dark Knight Retur- Rises. Sorry, I can't say Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Rises specifically in this one. <laughs> Essentially, he was a mentor and teacher who taught Bruce Wayne, which is definitely alluded to here. He mm-hmm. mentions to Turner that he trained not only his parents, but he trained 
Bruce Wayne. Um, mm-hmm. And Turner himself recognizes him as Mr. Henry, who you know has been this this amazing trainer and, and swordsman and everything previously. So that is very true to what happens in the Nolan verse, in that um, Henry Ducard was a trainer for Batman. He actually comes across Batman in a prison um, and teaches him all all kinds of skills. Uh, kind of goes through like a whole whole training thing with Batman. He has like I think three different like major kind of tests that he goes through before he can kind of better his master. So really, he really is yeah. very, very I vaguely key. remember that plot between looking at, you know, Christian Bale working out right. and Killian Murphy's eyes. I do remember <laughs> some of that. <laughs> well, you've got to, when it comes to Henry Ducard, we we have to give shout outs to Liam Neeson because Liam Neeson is really our, our key here for mm-hmm. who people think of when they think of this character. What's interesting about him is that in most not all it hasn't been proved in all of them but in most of the situations where we've seen this character he has actually been using an alias for somebody else so we know him as henry ducard this very rich upper kind of upper crust fancy man (laughs) who uh works with the league of shadows okay so we can we can extrapolate (laughs) that the league of shadows are probably who kidnapped turner they probably did that um second clue being that the league of shadows were known to be based in the himalayas and they gave us a very clear shot of a very beautifully snowy mountain when um turner was (laughs) getting out of the car there um they have other bases but there was definitely a uh big one in the himalayas so i'm going with league of shadows league of shadows is an organization that in a way almost has echoes of um the court of owls kind of worked into it with with different aims but yeah almost a similar kind of ruthlessness in how they achieve their goals actually um the league of shadows is very very ancient like they've been around since like i believe the fall of rome or beyond like they really really predate batman they probably predate the court of owls by a long way they they're really kind of the major world players when it comes to a lot of events that they actually had their had their fingers in at certain points, including the uh, economic fall of Gotham. There was a big kind of depression in Gotham economically, which is what like Tiptoe's steps eventually led to Joe Chill killing Batman's mm-hmm. parents um, because he needed needed money at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it it all comes back around. It's, it's it all works in. <laughs> um, but the League of Shadows are very very. Um, interested in justice or what they perceive to be justice. Mm-hmm. Um, they have very much an attitude of the greater good being more important than the individual. Um, so that one of their kind of tenets and beliefs is that periodically they will purge areas or I- issues that, that they so, you know, That's are they good. good? Are they bad? It's a big You always want to give it a purge, you know? Yeah, that yeah. always sounds good. That always sounds like we want one organization making that call of, of who and what to purge. <laughs> yes. So um, Henry Ducard is affiliated with the League of Shadows, but he actually is is kind of better known in in some ways by um the name Razagul which uh turns up <laughs> in a lot of the other I'd, I'd say a lot of the other DC verse shows um specifically Arrow um I want to mention Arrow because it's it's a perfect example there are several kind of discussions in the Batman and DC verse about how exactly to pronounce this name um <laughs> And Arrow couldn't decide. So within that show, they <laughs> pronounce it several different ways. 
Good, good. Um, but I feel like I I pronounced it like how you're pronouncing it, and I think that comes from yes. Christopher Nolan. I would assume like that, like that. That's how that's said. It also reminded me a lot of that movie about the owls that I always mispronounced the name of that came out a couple of years ago. Someone was going crazy as I can't remember the name of this movie. Yeah, somebody out there screaming at you right now. Um, oh, the Guardians of Gaul, the the owl guardian things. Anyway, yes. every time I hear Raza Ghoul, that's what I think. <laughs> well. <laughs> so Ra's al Ghul is a name that came from Arabic. It literally means um, head of the demon or head of the ghoul. So that's why most people, I would say, I'm going to go with saying that I think the majority would pronounce it this way, which is Ra's al Ghul, because that's the Arabic pronunciation. There is a slightly different interpretation, which makes it Raish al Ghul, which is the Hebrew pronunciation. But as okay. they have said that it's it's Arabic, that's that's what we'll go with here. Um, so he is the head of the League of Shadows, but has been known specifically, coming back to Liam Neeson again, um, specifically he has been known to use uh, the name Henry Ducard and basically pretend to be an associate of his own and that he's actually an associate of Razagul. He's not really Razagul. He's he's Henry Ducard. <laughs> of course he is. Um, he, the, the, the whole series of uh, Nolanverse movies deals very heavily with him. He was the son of a warlord um, and ended up um, falling in love with the daughter of another warlord. He was a big mercenary. Um, fell in love with the daughter, illegitimate child, that uh, was born in a prison known as the Pit. I know there are some people out there now going, hang on, this sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> yes, the... Um, the daughter of Razagul's name was Talia. She grew up in the pit with Bane, and Bane helped her escape from the pit. Um, so Razagul's wife, um, or I'm not sure if it was, I would have to go back and check whether it was like a legitimate marriage or they married in secret or whatever oh, it yeah. was, but she died in the pit, which was a very kind of formative, formative experience for our, our friend here. Um and he goes off is is you know this very venge vengeance driven kind of mercenary ends up working for the League of Shadows. He came across Batman when Batman was training in Paris. Young Bruce was was training, trying to to learn all these different things, and he takes on Bruce as a student. He didn't know at the time that he was Batman um, because that wasn't that wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> so. He works it out later. He works out um, who Batman is from his interactions with him before and having trained him, he works out what Bruce's secret identity is. Um, and the the two of them actually come to blows much later on when one of the purges of the League of Shadows becomes focused on Gotham. Mm. And they are going to remove um, a lot of people from Gotham. They they poison the water supply. They put like a fear Jesus. serum in the water supply. It's, <laughs> it's a bad time. Like we've said, it's it's a hazard to live in Gotham. Okay, leave Gotham, leave Gotham. Go to the <laughs> suburbs. I'm sure there's cheap housing there. Go get out of New Jersey. <laughs> yes. So essentially, while Henry Ducard is a kind of a possibly a, a name that they may have used, we don't know where they're going to go in season two. We can only we can only guess at what may have happened in season two it may have been a full-blown uh razagul which i would have loved like i would have loved to have dug into that i would have loved for turner to be trained by the same person yes. who trained bruce wayne and who also trained uh tim drake as well bringing back my fave here <laughs> um <laughs> bringing back mal's fave see i think i think the version of season two that you would write 
would be that Turner goes into star training and then Tim Drake is also there and then they would meet and become buddies. I think that yes. would have been your ideal season. And then two. <laughs> you can date Cullen. <laughs> it yes. Would be perfect. <laughs> yes. And then Turner can bring him back and they can be buddies to something more than buddies. That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. But yeah, I'm telling we you, this... we're this close. We're this close to Mal and I. We're just writing season two and doing an audio drama. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting real close. So close. We can do voices. We can do puppets. We got this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got the two-faced voice just down. I, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what could have been? But yeah, we, we get this very brief but com- very compelling scene mm-hmm. um with henry ducard i believe the actor's name is charles i'll say measure measure um i know but he really commands the room with just like a few sentences being yes. all we get from him and how unfortunate because you know that you know as an actor auditioning for a role like this it's probably pitched to you like you're gonna have like five lines in in this finale but then you're going to be a huge recurring character like the next season you know so it's tough because you're building this portrayal to last when you don't know if it's going to if it's if it's going to just be a one episode thing or not so i mean kudos to him because i could see where that character was going or where they could have taken that yeah. character like there, there were real razzle vibes coming from him like he did so good um absolutely loved it and uh he has this amazing line where he's going back and forth with turner kind of trying to say to him like look like this is this is a good opportunity for you like mm-hmm. come join me i will train you everybody that you know thinks you're dead and that's the perfect place to begin um which what a line what a final uh, line what a final line for the season really um and obviously we don't know exactly what turner would have done or yeah. how how that would have how that would have gone it kind of looks like turner is kind of coming around to his way of thinking like okay well this is interesting i really could live up because there's so much of the season that has been about bruce's legacy for turner um that you know this is an opportunity for him to really step into that legacy and be somebody that maybe bruce would have been proud of and all those sorts of things so i think that would have been really fun to explore in season two um a, a little bit further about whether the reality of trying to do what Bruce did measures up to what uh, yes. Turner was was hoping it would. Yes. Um, oh my that would have gosh. Been, yeah, mean, that would have ugh. been so so much to go down there because, like I said, the the League of Shadows is one of those organizations that's kind of good, kind of bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bruce's relationship with Henry Ducard was was quite fraught for a long time because he Henry works with criminals just as easily as he works with um with with good guys really he's much more about the overall balance of justice um and was much less fussy about what that entailed than bruce was so as far as their relationship much later on they it was kind of a fraught relationship like they clearly had some respect for each other but there were also definitely times where they tried to kill each other (laughs) so um Henry is one of those characters that has also appeared to die a couple of times in like there was a <laughs> short comic series that he was in. Um, he was in a one special episode, I think, and uh various other things through flashbacks in Batman and Robin, uh, volume two. I know he was in, in flashbacks, but it makes it appear that um he dies and he never does. <laughs> he's he's one, of, <laughs> one of those people like you, you don't believe he's really gonna die. We do find out in Batman yeah. and Robin that he actually has a son himself um which you imagine would probably be a similar age to turner so that could have been interesting as well um 
So I have a question. Do we think that Turner's parents are really just two anonymous assassins? Or do you think, because he's obviously a new character that was created for the show, um, who doesn't have like any official background. Do you think that there is a way that they might have tied him into existing characters that we know, like in from the comics verse? Or do you think that they would have just gone in, I know it's purely speculative, but do you think they would have just gone off on their own thing or made them important? Because I do think it's interesting they haven't really talked a lot about his parents, like who they are as people. Yeah, I think there are a lot of opportunities where they could link that in to, to known characters, to people that have worked with the League of Shadows. Um, like it's all so circular. Like Razagul in certain instances, like has known ties to the Court of Owls and stuff like that as well. Mm. So it's it's all so connected. Um, so I really think they could have chosen to make a great connection there. It doesn't seem at this point, like they wanted to, because they they could have yeah. done that when they, they could have made it clear when the whole conversation happened with Commissioner Soto if they wanted to give a specific, you know, actually his father was this character and his <laughs> mother was this character, um, yeah. and I kind of like that he's still our wild card and still still out there. So I personally would lean towards maybe not, maybe not. I think definitely some really good opportunities to to do that um and these writers would have made it work wonderfully yes myself i'm just leaning towards maybe not maybe they really wanted to establish turner as a character in his own right here and not have him directly connected in that way still have a connection through bruce through yeah card the rest of it um but who knows who knows who knows (laughs) oh the tragedy of this because even without the comics background i just find that so intriguing like this whole idea of him training with this like shadowy organization like who his parents were involved with like finding out more about them more about their life i'm also just like i all i could picture when they were doing this whole storyline is that i used to love the alex Ryder spy books when i was a kid and very much the same vibe <laughs> so i was like looking forward to my like turner alex Ryder storyline of like him being this like international spy and meanwhile like the gotham knights are over here like just trying to hold down the fort in the yeah, city of just gotham. just trying to live <laughs> just trying to live and turner's like let me learn about like international espionage and intrigue <laughs> like let me go do all this other stuff <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I feel very seen that. Yes. <laughs> that, that i must admit like that would have been a brilliant setup for a season two so i'm, I'm glad that we kind of got that little scene because it almost like mm-hmm. adds another layer to how hard these writers showrunners like this entire crew worked and how brilliantly they would have set up that season two yeah. sad we didn't get it wonderful that we got the closure that we did in yes. this um particular season like they like i'm not left feeling unsatisfied in any way yes um i'm yeah. just left sad that we don't get to follow that thread and all of the other threads that that we've yes. been offered and left so many as well threads. so so many threads um but we can talk about our feelings on the season as a whole and all of that in our in our next episode which we should also say we want to hear from you guys for because it's it's our last episode of the show um you have all been so wonderfully interactive on on twitter and, and telling us what you like and what you don't like about the show um and we want to kind of leave it up to you a little bit mal and i certainly have topics that we want to discuss but what do you want to hear from us? Are there questions that you want answered? Um, are there storylines that you want us to talk about our thoughts on or theories that you have that you'd like us to talk about? Anything like that. Um, you can feel free to let us know. Our DMs on Twitter are open. 
Uh, you can feel free to message us on there if you want to reply to a tweet. I will be sending out a tweet also um, specifically asking for these things. So you can reply to that if you would like. Um, by the time this episode is out, the tweet will be out. Um, and yeah, we just we want to make this last episode a real celebration of the show so far and what we loved about it. Um, and one of the things that we've loved most about it is you guys interacting with the fandom for it. So yeah, let us know. It has been wonderful. And yeah, please do send in your theories. I'll do a rate your theory section. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. We'll please, we can do that. And then we can have mine in there, which are terrible and almost all ship related. Um, Look, but you, you hit some home runs this season, okay? You did. So if there's one thing I know how to do, it's pick out romantic tension. And if there isn't romantic tension, I will invent it. <laughs> I, I, I am pleased with a couple of my theories that, that came up. The fact that I somehow got zombie Brody joins the Gotham Knights and yeah. a couple of other ones. I was like, I'm I'm feeling good about that. I'm going to let no, you have the rest. I, I was because... very impressed by all of your theory guessing skills this season. It was nice to be on a winning team because I could just co-opt all of your theories and be like, yes, I agree with Mel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not taking credit for any of them. I am taking credit to a writing team <laughs> that knows how to yes. truly excellently somehow foreshadow things and then still surprise you with them it's yes! wonderful oh my gosh everything with a little twist um but we'll save the sappiness for the next episode because i don't yes. want to get weepy on the second to last one <laughs> no <laughs> save the, the tears one. for the final episode um, which will be coming to you next week woohoo uh so yeah so make sure to let us know if there's anything you specifically want us to talk about uh and until then we will see you next week and that is it for this week's episode of Your Bad is Dead. Be sure to tune in next week for all the twists and turns on Gotham Nights. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Your Bad is Dead, and our show is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to head to Nerds and Beyond for all your nerdy news and a variety of fandoms, including Gotham Nights. This show is produced by Mal Windsor and Jules Thompson for Nerds and Beyond, and our theme music is by Kennedy Lynch.